Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. PLD. P.J. Campbell. Two mediocre white dudes on film. Because frankly, we know you don't have enough of that in your life. So we're here to give you more. And without further ado, here are two mediocre white dudes on film. Oh, hello, everybody. Hello there. One, one cup of coffee. Ah, ah, ah. Ah, ah. <laughs> Two, two cups of coffee. Ah, ah, ah. And a happy Halloween to all of you out That's there right. today who are watching this. And here we are talking about Friday the 13th, part six, which is uh, kind of a Halloween movie, obviously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely a Halloween movie. It's a spooky movie. You know, we did our Halloween franchise last year. This year's franchise. That's what, it just feels weird. I know. This year we're doing Friday the 13th. Hell, next year I think we'll do Nightmare. We'll make the big three next by next Halloween. That'll be our, our big one then. Um, but yeah. So, so that means the year after we're finally doing my series. Um, well, yeah, you, you have a couple of different series. So I'm going to hope it's the Puppet Master. master. Uh, the, I'd, rather the puppet do, I'd rather do Phantasm. I'd rather do. Uh, <laughs> there's plenty of other of your series I'd rather do than Puppet Master, let me tell you. And you know what? That's coming from somebody as much as I, shit as I give you. I like the original Puppet Master. I just don't look forward to 12 or 13 of them. <laughs> I mean, to be honest. fair, I don't think there, I think there's people who look at us and go, they're not looking forward to 12 or 13 Halloween movies and Friday the 13th movies either. Fair, and that's yet, here you and I are. That's a fair statement. And I will admit that I'm sure if we go long enough, I'm quite sure we will eventually get to Puppet Master. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. It's a long way. It's away. the dream. It is the dream. I think we got to get a couple of short ones in there. I don't know. You know what? We do, we do though, you know what? Thinking about it, I mean, it's a long time away. We do kind of got to figure out eventually what the next big series during Halloween will be. Um, oh, I mean, I think you just said it. I think it's going to be a no, nightmare. I mean, post nightmare. That, but that's oh, a long time away. Like, nightmare is definitely going to yeah. be next year. I think you got to get the big three in there. Um, and then after that, I, I don't know. There's a couple I of I think, them honestly, there. Child's Play uh, ends up being. Because especially now, Granted, it gets a little complicated because now it is continued as a TV show and we're three seasons in. But I don't know. We there are seven now. movies. Yeah. 
I think we we stick to the movies as far as I think that'd be my own thing. I don't I don't want to get into TV on this show particularly. It's kind of like a different kind of. I mean, we could mention and talk about. Oh, it. oh, I know, but the problem is, is that the franchise like legitimately continues because yeah. the cliffhanger of Cult of Chucky is picked up in the series in a TV right? series. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's very comical, and then you have to kind of deal with that. That's a, you know that's a big question. I'm gonna throw this at you. I didn't know this yeah, might yeah. be an age thing as well. Um, but back in the day. You'd say Michael, Jason, and Freddie were the, the horror icons. Like they were the big three of the yeah. slasher icons. And I kind of say, I think Leatherface was put up as the the next thing, the 1A kind of thing. Has Chucky surpassed him? Ghostface as well, which he'd already covered in the Scream franchise. But Ghostface always yeah. felt like something a little separate because it was just as much like parody as it was yeah. real. So kind of like I felt like that was a separate kind of separate kind of thing. In terms of like the big like ghost or horror icons, though, as far as that goes, you know, people are actually there's people out there yelling at me now because of my scream my scream takes. I, I still never lived down that one fuck that one like ranking thing I did on BLD Prize a long time ago. Oh, I remember. And I, moved, I tried to let you go. You know, I've tried not to bring this up ever again, and yet here we are. You started it all over. <laughs> you know what? I I still think I, I on a on a purely basis, scream is an S tier franchise. But during the thing, I had to only have five, so I kicked it down to eight tier. They and they're acting like I hate the series. I'm like, I don't hate the series. I love the series. It just got barely knocked down to eight tier. But you know, all right, we'll, yeah. we won't talk about that anymore. But but the question I have is now we had Leatherface as the big icon. Has Chucky really surpassed him at this point? Is Chucky greater uh, than Leatherface? And I'm not I saying think, it's quality yeah. of movies because quality of movies, I think, without doubt, because te- Texas Chainsaw Massacre has the great original but tough to watch original, to be honest with you. Yeah. And they don't have many great sequels. I think the ones in the 2000s, like the, the ones with Arlie Emery and things like that, those are pretty good and pretty watchable. But overall, yeah. Leatherface versus Chucky. Uh, I think it. I think you have to give the nod to the ginger-headed murder doll. Um <laughs> I mean, honestly, the funny thing is, and you and I have talked about this a lot in like back room hangouts and stuff. Of it makes it sound very seedy. But okay. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I did it. I, I was very. I knew exactly what what I was doing. I wanted it to sound as seedy and bad as possible. Um, but <laughs> the Child's Play franchise, arguably and honestly, is maybe the most consistent horror franchise. Uh, in a way that people don't actually give it a lot of credit for. And what's interesting is it ended up being like well ahead of its time too, because when you get to see the Chucky, the stuff that that movie is doing is wildly, wildly ahead of what you're anticipating a movie in the two thousands to be talking about, especially when it comes to uh, identity and trans people. And the funny thing is, is, Bride of Chucky is very clearly also birthed from this, uh, which we're about to talk right. about today. Jason lives because a lot of that film coming back and them doing it is very much campy meta, like universal monstery. Like they treated it the same exact way. Yeah. Oh, I remember um, that too. You said that about Sia Chucky, yeah. especially the also Sia Chucky the. With um, God, I'm I'm blanking out a name from Lord of the Rings, Billy Boyd, right? Yeah, um, yeah, that idea of like pushing forward trans and identity, identity well out of its time, well out of its time to the point where like it could come out this year and feel like completely fresh and new, um, comparatively. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and I I do I do think you're right 
to a degree. I got to say that because, again, this is an age thing. Being older than you, Leatherface was huge back in the 80s. Oh, yeah. And there's no denying that. Right. Um, but I do think nowadays, I mean, they both had films recently. They both had, or had, I mean, Chucky had the reboot, um, uh, Child's Play. I should say Child's Play had the reboot because they didn't have the the, the yeah. complete rights. Um, and Chucky has a TV series. We did have a recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which a lot of people really hated. I dug it. I didn't I mind it. it. Yeah. I didn't hate it. Like, I, I thought there was more than to it. Uh, most people, I think. Yeah, same. Um, so there's a world where I can see us doing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series at some point because the first is good. Two is actually really fun also. And again, kind of ahead of its time in a way like in like this film, two is very much a it turns into a horror comedy, which is weird considering the first one. Uh, this Jason had what six this is the sixth one of the series before it gets to the comedy. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, iconic horror, like see dirty film. And then the second film is like a comedy. It's like, wait, what the what just happened? And it's the same director. You're like, what the hell just happened? I don't care what's going on here. Um, but it was actually what I hated when I first watched it. Now I've come around on it. Um, three is okay. Um, but McConaughey thing is bad. Is one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen. But then it comes it, back to the it, good ones. Says some of good ones, I should say. It's so funny because like I just do not really gel with the franchise overall. I mean, mm-hmm. I I understand the reverence for it. Um, I like the original very much, but to your point, it's so grimy and dirty, and it's actually very hard to watch. Yeah. Um, it makes me feel not good. And I mean, I arguably that's the point, but yeah, absolutely, it, it's one of those like doesn't quite. I get why it, it's popular, but it doesn't quite work for me. Right. Right. It. The second one is my favorite of the franchise. I think it's so wonderful and so fun. And again, like still grimy and weird, but in a Rob Zombie sort of way. Honestly, I always I've still contend to this day. And yeah, granted, House of a Thousand Corpses is basically him doing his own Texas Chainsaw. But I've said it since the beginning, even when we did our Halloween retrospective and we got to his movies. I always thought he was much more fitted for Texas Chainsaw than he was Halloween. Because how he makes movies very grindhouse like and how tortured and dark and weird his characters are, it would have been a match made in hell in the right way. I actually fully agree. We've had that conversation before. This is coming as someone from someone who actually appreciated what he did for Halloween. And we both actually really, especially in retrospect, changed our mind on Halloween too. We definitely I brought you a little bit higher up to Halloween too in our conversation, I think. And uh, I do I do really enjoy it. I actually really enjoyed it. I wouldn't go ahead and watch today. But at the same time, it's definitely his aesthetic is far more Texas Chainsaw than it was Halloween. But at the same time, you know, someone argued that makes it an more an actually more of an interesting choice for Halloween. Um saying that kind oh, of thing. It's yeah, almost like yes. I almost would it'd be interesting to someone to take a Halloween take to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know if that would work, but who knows? Like that's the kind of cool things about film. You can take these kind of take these chances, um, and unfortunately, it feels like chances. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are being taken less and less sometimes, it feels like. I, I, like it's, we're heading towards this place of safety, um, which I don't love. 
Um, and I don't, I can't really point anything specifically out right now off the top of my head, but like, it just feels like we're taking away these chances for directors to do things that they want to do and make, take these like this, this today's movie is a perfect example. Tom McLaughlin takes a big chance on the tone and everything else with Jason lives. Um, something that needed to be done after what happened with five, but nowadays, I don't know if you'd be allowed to do that. Studio kind of have these like numbers they want to paint by. They want to hit the certain demographics. They want to do this. They don't want, and we end up getting these films that are, good a lot of times but like they feel like they i, I want to get something more auteur like sometimes get, get somebody in there who just has a complete whacked out idea give them a shot sometimes they might fucking shit the bed and it's awful but sometimes you get something like today's movie which really kind of reinvents the wheel as far as the franchise goes and kind of i don't want to say reinvents the wheel as far as the the genre goes but it's like in a new direction and definitely inspires some things later on but for you, we don't get scream Without Jason Lives. Absolutely. Um, I mean, in the same way, again, I the Child's Play franchise probably doesn't survive if it isn't for Jason Lives. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if, uh, if uh, Bride of Chucky ends up being what it is or even existing. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, remember, Child's Play 3, very similarly to Friday Part 5, was not very beloved. And so, like, it, uh, I mean, now, granted, Jason Lives still comes out like a year and some change later. Right, basically right. from part five, but the Child's Play franchise sat on the shelf for like the longest because of yeah. what happened with the third one. Yeah, and absolutely. when they brought it back, it was just a totally different. I mean, dude, fucking John Ritter is in that movie. <laughs> right. Like, people forget that John Ritter is like one of the leads of a Child's Play. That's a, that's the weirdest thing you could say to me, quite frankly. It's such a weird concept. Well, I've seen the movie. I still get like, oh yeah, wow, please. The funniest thing is, is then. Jason Ritter, his son, is the lead of Freddy versus Jason right around the same time. Right, right. There's so they're both kind of playing in the <laughs> horror universes of all of it. Um, I I will always be a little sad that we never saw Freddy and Chucky cross over just for the banter. I feel like if you had had the two of those characters bantering back and forth, you could have done something really fun. But there's just no world where a crossover with those characters Maybe uh, maybe maybe a, maybe a big finish type so you can do an audio version because Robert England might be too old to get into the makeup, but just Robert yeah. England and Brad Dorf going at it for a little while, I think that'd be oh, fun. Yeah, that'd be fun just like that. I I, I would have loved that. Um, I mean, granted, in the same way, a lot of people. It's so funny. I've had people who have told me that you know, Freddy versus Jason versus Ash would never have worked because those characters don't make sense together and you can't cross it over. And it's like, well, actually. Like, once you read it, you're like, those three worlds make a lot of sense together. Mm. There is a world, I think, that maybe Child's Play and Nightmare kind of make sense together a tiny bit. Um, I, just you can the make it work. Yeah. You can make anything work. In fact, like, I mean, this is already kind of a spoiler alert into a little bit of the breakdown of this, this film. Like, there is a certain I don't give a fuck about what's going on or what happened previously. Well, right. Like that if you have the right tone, if you have the right mindset and you execute, that fans will go along with it. They'll kind of go, yeah, there's some really all right, I'm on board. Let's do this thing. Kind of thing. Like you gotta get over that. Once you get over that, I think there's an easy I think there's ways to get over that when if like you give a little bit of wink and nudge to the audience like, yeah, you know what? You're right. These don't really work to a degree. Come along, we're gonna have a good time, and you can do it. 
And that's what I think you could totally do. I think with the whole thing with Freddie Jason Nash, Freddie Jason versus Nash, from what I remember, the worst, the hardest thing about it was Sam Raimi wanting like to have complete control, possibly him and him and Campbell. Like he didn't want to relinquish well, and ultimately, and basically wanting to get to do Evil Dead Four, which is mm-hmm. basically why they killed it. Was he said in the end he wanted to do a fourth film and he right. wanted nothing to do with the wildness of what that is, you know? Right. And that's um, fair. It's unfortunate. It's fair. It's fine. Yeah. I would love to. I, I just to wish, that. well, thank God the comic exists. I mean, yeah. it really is exactly the script in the story, which was fantastic. Right. right. And I'm very happy that it comes together the way it does, because it does prove that they really could have made a really fantastic film. Yeah. Uh, crossovers are always fun if they're done correctly. Uh, I still can't believe I they ever got a Freddy vs. Jason sequel, even without Ash. You know, they, even with like the whole Evil Dead of it taken out, I still feel like there was so much they could have done with that um, as a franchise, but it's unfortunate. That it's funny you say out. that, because I think that a lot, too. You look at it, and it's like that movie ended up making hundred and almost $120 million. It made four yeah. times its budget, basically. Like, yeah. And people love it. I, I think that over time, too, its reverence has actually grown a little bit. Like, I think so, so too. You look back and, and you're like, man, that was actually like a lot of fun. So ambitious and so fun, and yeah. it works. And I think a part of it is they just threw so many different ideas out the window. And I think that they really got caught up on the Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. I mean, again, to the point that they made a comic book out of it yeah. and worked through what the story would have been, but they had gotten so far in it. I think that once that was the direction they were going and then it fell apart. I think it just, yeah, there was no reset because I, I will always point to the sequel of that never happening sort of being the thing that seems to push the remakes and reboots craze suddenly out of nowhere. Um, Because once the two Titans of horror fall and you don't make a sequel to it and everyone starts rebooting those properties, everyone else starts jumping on it. And so that was kind of the weird place of where it happened. It was that, you know, that 2007 Halloween, 2009 Friday, then there was Nightmare, and they just kept going. And I mean, there was all the J-horror remakes in the 2000s too, but Freddy vs. Jason's sequel Never Happening seemed to be the catalyst of so much of that like lunging forward and i yeah. think that's also because Texas chainsaw was so popular when it came right. out the, 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 yeah, the, or the, yeah the new yeah. universe whatever no i agree and i, I don't i don't i also think also there probably was a little bit of studio fatigue as far as that film the original favor jason took like 10 years to actually make like they had the there's an entire book background. about it yeah, I, I actually read that book. And I, I had that it. book. Yeah. yeah. It's actually a fun book. It goes through like so many iterations, so many scripts, and so many rights issues. And so, like, some of these people had really great intentions with trying to get something done. It's it's amazing some of the concepts that were brought together. Some of them brought in he- uh, Hellraiser, brought in Pinhead and stuff. There's a lot of really, really cool things that were thrown out there. Some of them were god awful. I'm not going to lie. Some of them, like, a real like that would not have worked. Um, but what ended up, what we ended up getting was probably one of the best of the bunch um there's a lot of times i don't understand this in, in horror especially but a lot of movies they bring in characters that like almost like replace the icon like there was a whole 
for a long time in Freddy vs. Jason, there was this like running thread of there's going to be this guy, uh, Damascus or something like that, who's going to be like the head of a Freddy cult. And like he was like a secondary yeah. antagonist. And it's like, like even thought about that. Like just on paper, I'm like, so you're replacing, you have a movie called Freddy vs. Jason, and you're going to replace Freddy vs. Jason with this Damascus, like, what are you doing? Like you, this is kind of thing where you set them up and let them go. <laughs> the other funny thing about that, to your point, is that them even opening the door to that uh, potential rabbit hole of a Freddy cult just starts giving you Halloween six vibes and the thorn <laughs> cult stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. that never went anywhere either. So it's really fascinating to me that anyone would even like, play with that as an idea because <laughs> it just didn't work you know right and yet here we are years later repeating mistakes so what do we get in halloween ends we got a character like introduced that like throws michael to the side you're like you're here in michael's last film and you're going to spend the first half talking about this guy Corey. like ugh, man. Big, i still contend that halloween ends should have been the first movie Corey should have been in the entire trilogy Hundred percent. It makes a lot. It work. It actually works that way. Um, yeah. It's like a war. It's like you put when you have a new trilogy like that. You serve Corey up as the opening act. He's like he warms up the the, the audience before you get to the main event of of, of Michael coming yeah. back. It's a nice little tease because like I could have gotten Michael. on board. Yeah, 100%. and I could have one hundred percent been on board with a fake Michael walking around for a little bit until actual Michael shows up and takes over. I mean, yeah. honestly, that's kind of. Again, talking about this movie, we go from Friday Part 5 where they pretty much ignore all of that happening. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, yeah. Going into, oh, yeah. well, Jason's just going to be back and we're just going to do it as it is. Right. Um, <laughs> so the point where like, they actually the... had to put forth Jason lives as the title just to go, hey, audience, this is Jason. This is really Jason. Right. We fucked up the last one. This is Jason. This is not Roy. This is Jason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we get too much farther into the episode and the movie, uh, I think we would be remiss if we did not uh, bring up that over the past weekend, pop culture was uh, shaken to its very core. Uh, the death of Matthew Perry was mm-hmm. a sudden and shocking event that I think a lot of us were not anticipating. Uh it happened this past Saturday uh, and it's just kind of been a tragic, sad, heartbreaking event that really you could feel the ripples really actually affecting everyone around you. Even if you didn't love friends, there's been a very real sense of loss and tragedy 
to the entire situation. Um, I've always, I've always been a big friends fan and mm. I grew up with Chandler as a character and I watched all of the movies that Matthew Perry was in because I always thought he was very talented and it's been a very difficult thing to process. I don't think any of us assumed that one of them would pass away so suddenly so early. I'm, right. You know, um, and especially with how sad it is that, you know, he very publicly battled a lot of his own demons and his addictions. And, you know, we don't know what happened other than that he drowned. But there's a real sense of it's even more heartbreaking that it seems like his health has always been so wobbly because of all of it. And it may have finally caught up with him. Um, And it's just it's been really hard. It's been really tragic to see how it's affected everyone but it's also been heartwarming seeing how it's affecting people too um and it was not lost on me yesterday that when the cast members of friends put their statement out they did it together none of them did a separate post about him or anything at the time they did it the way they did everything else in life as a cast because they had become a family when they would go to negotiations for salaries they wanted to be paid the same thing together so they all went into it together like no one ever left that core six to be the standout of the others they took care of each other and they were a real family and uh right it it sucks man it it sucks bad absolutely um it's kind of one of the most telling quotes i had though we talked talked about his his public struggles with addictions and things of that nature and previous health scares i remember they had the like 10 years ago he had the Battle with his colon exploded because like some opiate. Oh, that was like four years ago, five four years, years ago. ago, five years ago. I, yeah, I don't know time at this point. It's all sorts of weird. Um, but no, like I remember a quote from him that I read after he passed that really kind of like put things into measure for me. Is like Matthew Perry himself said that like if I died, it would be shocking but not surprising. Um, yeah, and I think that's the one of the best way, or it might have been maybe the way was surprising, not shocking. I don't either way. It was shocking. But it was in a way like sadly not surprising because of his public struggles. And I felt I felt awful thinking that um, everybody it just it feel I feel awful that something like this happened to somebody and anybody at all. Um, not like not even the fact that there's a celebrity or anything else, but like obviously he was such a talented guy. Obviously he touched so many people, and yet here we are. She struggles like the rest of us. He struggles ma- massively in some areas. Um, he had leg- like legitimate social things that came out, but he was I mean just. It always felt like something was going on with him, and you always felt like he was struggling just to live. And he made such great strides in some ways as well. So hearing this guy just feels like oh, it's that guy you were rooting for. You were rooting for this guy to make it. And then something tragic happens, and you, you don't really know how to move forward, like in a weird way, because like he just the friends. Like again, like, to your point, friends has obviously seen some backlash now. I mean, some things are revisited yeah. and it's like, uh, things of its time, yada, yada, yada. But no matter what you think of the show, it's an iconic show and it made such a mark on our pop culture um, that it just, it felt like it was immortal. It felt like they were immortal. Like they were always going to be that exactly. cornerstone. And now all of a sudden it's like, you know, when you watch the reunion years later, yeah, they're all older now. Yeah. Maybe, you know, Matt LeBlanc doesn't look quite the same as Joey did back in the day. Uh, it's like they're all. God, it's almost like people age. I can't fucking believe right. it. 
Exactly. It's all that kind of thing. And like, you know, public had made about how even then Matthew Perry looked a little haggard and everything else. I kind of, I felt bad about that. Cause it's like, they didn't, they, you can't, you can't let our heroes age. It's awful. Um, but it just, you always remember in your memory, you see them back on the show and what they were. They are there forever in Amber as that's what they were. Yeah. And here we are. Like one of them. The is now saddest. Gone. Yeah. And this, I think the saddest thing with that too, to your point with, the reunion in a lot of ways other than people being so shitty about how that so many of them looked because they had aged i mean look it had been 20 years since the show it ended right Right. guys fucking perspective number one uh, was that he's even talked about like he had so lost so many of his memories um from his drug addiction and things like that when they were making the show and you even see it when they're talking about it he goes wait that happened or like i don't remember this and him being like okay well i'm gonna go cry again now like you you don't realize how hard it was for him and yet at the same time like he's so lucky that they were all still there and they all took care of each other because they really helped him i think through so much of it um and i think you know we need to remind people like he really put his money where his mouth was he opened rehab centers and was trying to help people who were struggling like he was to get clean and to get back on their feet and to you know be better because if he could fall into this the same way that anyone else could like and he has the means to do it then why shouldn't he help and i i think that more than anything uh shows a commitment to people and who he was and his character of I am not bigger than people around me. And it was interesting because I saw this quote. They, it was someone who had worked. It was one of the writers who had worked on the odd couple with him. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the TV version that he yep. did with Thomas Lennon and they were reworking the pilot. And the writer had said that, he and Matthew were talking, he goes, you know, Matthew asked him, he goes, what do you do when you can't write and you need to get out of your head and you need to, you know, like go do something so that you can get back on track. And the guy said, well, you know, I just get up and I go take a walk around the neighborhood and walk, just go and walk. And Matthew was like, yeah, I can't do that. And the writer had that realization of how hard it must be for someone like Matthew Perry to just want to go get away. Because the moment you walk outside as Matthew Perry, you're Matthew Perry. Everyone wants to talk to you because you're Matthew Perry. Right. And the bummer is, man, like he I think he was a lot more like you and I, a little bit more introverted, a little more wanted to keep to himself at times. He was a lot more human than I think people gave him credit for. Um, or understood, rather. I honestly want to throw out the fact, I mean, this is kind of, this is not like an original thought of mine. It's been banded down about, but like, you think of someone like him, someone like a Robin Williams, um, people like that, like the funny people in our lives, the comedians, the comedic actors in our time, unlike any other actor, they're always expected to be on. Like when you walk out as Matthew Perry and you meet somebody, they want you to be Chandler. They want you to have the snarky comeback. And I gotta tell you, being on is one of the toughest things. You can't be on twenty four seven. You can't no. be that. Sorry, like Chandler 
like Matthew Perry, I'm sure was I, I personally I've never met him, obviously, but like is he a funny guy? Probably. He also had a team of writers behind him. And it's not like he wasn't like <laughs> you don't have a team of writers in life to make those snarky comments. And sometimes you just don't want to be funny. You just wanna live. Yeah. You just want to walk around and get a coffee and like not have to be Chandler or not to be like the funny right. snarky guy. Um, and you'll find a lot of times comedians specifically always struggle with their mental health because quite frankly, a lot of times, again, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I've heard this a couple of times. They've turned to comedy because they want to be accepted. <laughs> like they want right. to, they want to making people laugh was their way of being accepted, but then it like becomes this never ending battle of always having to be the funny guy. Chris Farley was someone who always had to be the funny guy because he thought he needed to do that to make friends, to be friends and everything else. Yeah. Um, so that makes it even that's a tougher thing to think. I mean, like Tom Cruise has to be Tom Cruise when he goes out, but he's not like his Tom Cruise is just, he can be stoic and he can be just kind of calm and everything yeah. else. It's a different kind of, of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel bad that he kind of just, he had to disappear to get away from it, to turn off. And that's just, that's tiring to have to be on all the time. Yeah. I, so, I can't even imagine having to and i mean you and i have been in positions where you do have to do stuff like that it's really difficult um ever since i kind of took a step back from the space it's helped me considerably i don't feel like i need to be on all the time which is a nice change of pace of actually being myself um and really i don't know it's a it's a struggle sometimes to just be yourself Uh, so i can't imagine being someone who can't just be themselves when they walk out of the house. Um, and it's a thing that none of us really like very few people will know what that feels like. Right. hundred percent. And um, I, yeah. I hope you don't want to feel that way. Almost. You shouldn't have to, yeah. nobody should have to in a way, but like it, it is something that is a part of celebrity, especially it's a part of, this is like the price you pay in a way. And people are like, Oh, well, it's nice. They have millions of dollars. It's worth, you know, you can only money does help, obviously, but like doesn't solve everything. Money doesn't solve everything. <laughs> I mean, it, you, you know, build a bigger prison for yourself in a way. Sometimes that's what ends up happening. <laughs> I was a, uh, I was a little sad too, like thinking about it. I always wish that he had ended up being a little more prolific as a character actor. Um, mm. he, he showed incredible range very frequently, um, especially after friends, he did a lot of dramedies and, or appearing in shows like the good wife or mm-hmm. West wing. He, I mean, mm-hmm. and then obviously he led studio 60 and that's kind of where I was going is I really wish he had gotten to do more with Sorkin. Yeah. Um, he, yeah. he was one of those guys that made Sorkin dialogue really sing. Um, yeah. he yeah. and Jeff Daniels really, are two of those guys that you just see them do the Sorkin dialogue and you're like, yes, like, yes, yes, yes. You, you get what you're doing. And I know that Sorkin dialogue is not for everyone and Sorkin's writing is not for everyone, but I've always liked that. And I mean, he was in that, uh, the Kennedy's show where he played Ted Kennedy and he was actually very good in that too. Like the dude had range. People just didn't always get to see it. No, I agree. I totally agree. I always liked, I really enjoyed his turn on Studio 60 um, as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a, I mean, because the character kind of felt close to home to him. 
Yeah. Um, so I really felt that I kind of got inside his head a little bit with that show. Unfortunately, I know it only lasted like 20, 21 episodes or something like that. 20 episodes, um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But he was good. He, he was great in that as well. And that was a different kind of thing. He got a chance to shine to a degree. And I think he really did. Unfortunately, he didn't obviously click with everybody. Um, but that was another great. It, there was definitely some greatness of range there. Even though he's playing himself, he kind of like the ability to play a character who has demons and struggles that are the same as your own. That's really a raw thing to do. That's really a raw thing to do in front of the world. And he did it, handled it with great aplomb. I thought, um, I really wish that series had continued to be honest as well. Me um, too. I, I always consider that one of the great losses of, uh, that era yeah. of television because yeah. it only lasted a season. And I think it really would have, and it should have lasted itself. longer. Well, the bummer was is that right around the same time, both because they were both on NBC, but 30 Rock came Mm -hmm. on right around the same time. And they basically made the choice between 30 Rock and Studio 60. 30 Rock was pulling in way more viewers and had a much hotter cast. If you were looking at it with at the time, Tina Fey coming off of SNL, Alec Baldwin, Tracy Morgan coming off of SNL, like Drankowski, you had this hotter than hot cast and it was like well you gotta go with that one right and, and i understand that business-wise it made sense it made sense to yeah. do it but at the same time it's like yeah but you're losing something here you're really losing something here yeah so i just i i felt like we had to at least touch on it would be yeah. impossible uh to not we do a pop culture podcast really right. like we spend so much time talking about other things on here that are not just the movies that we talk about, that if we weren't, if we didn't bring up Matthew Perry, it would feel weird. And it's not like he did any horror movies or TV shows or anything, but he was just a talent. He was just a massive talent. Absolutely. He was a massive talent. And uh, it's it's a shame that it, it it ended the way it did, but we salute you. uh, And I hope, you know, you're, you're, you found some peace now. Um, and we'll always have that loss, but we'll always have his his stuff to go back to. Also, you can always watch Friends. Like I know you said, you're rewatching Friends or The Miz. Um, yes, yes and, I am. Uh, we we so. were like ten or eleven episodes in when it broke, it, and it was so. Watching it last night, we watched a handful of episodes, and it was like, man, you just you, he was from episode from season one on. Like he was just he got it. He was right. the guy. He's so good. Um, God, it's just so enjoyable, and it's been fun. She's never she's seen it, but she's never seen it all the way through. Like she's seen bits and pieces, so it's interesting watching someone experience it in, for the first time. Well, I'm doing my rewatch of Scrubs. I already started, so I'm gonna I'm getting closer to you're gonna get the Murray. Yeah, I was gonna say Scrubs as well. Well, that's also uh, the episode that features his dad, um, which is very cool too. Like they did a couple of things together um, in their careers, so it was cool that they work together and that that is there for us to all enjoy absolutely 100 um now spending a little bit away before we get into friday the 13th one last thing we should talk about really brief, even brief sense so we don't get into it too big the the strikes are ongoing obviously for us uh-huh. for sag after they are making their way uh they feel like they're starting to head towards a proper conclusion although there's definitely feels like there's a lot of bumps still to kind of get over um it feels kind of strange there's times i feel like it's going to be over today there's times i feel like it's not going to be over till somewhere during the new year uh yeah <laughs> but we definitely support the strikes here um even like as we're talking through hope that the studios will of course figure out that they need to pay the people right and do the right thing um 
Although I, I know we had this conversation off air that we're, I'm feeling a little more optimistic than you are. Um, maybe it's because I really want it to happen. I'm trying to will it to happen. Um, but what are your, what are your thoughts going to that at this point? Um, I'm of the mind that I just want them to take their time. Um, I would rather that they get everything ironed out and they actually, you know, get the deal they deserve and people get paid correctly. And the use of AI and all of that is honed in a certain way that makes sense so that we aren't, you know, using people's likeness a way that people don't feel comfortable with or whatever else. And I look at it now as this strike has already been gone ongoing for so long that I just think that people should relax and not put out there that things are sealed and done until it's sealed and done. Don't yeah. force the hand because at the end of the day, the deal just needs to be the deal. They, they need to get what they deserve. And I support them striking as long as they have to. And you can, you know that the motion picture association is getting nervous because they're going into the holidays. Like people know that once Thanksgiving rolls around, Hollywood's basically shut down for a month and a half. Yeah. They want to get through at this point. And I gotta say, I, to your point about people who are um, maybe, maybe jumping the gun and trying to get that in there. um, That adds to the fatigue that's been set in like, like the public, I agree. I want them. I want the student, the uh, I want SAG after to stand strong and get what they deserve. Uh, but there's that public perception you have to fight as well. And sometimes when people come out and say it's done and it's not done, there's a side of the public which is like, oh Jesus Christ, get it done already, and like that pushes things in the wrong direction because all of a sudden you lose goodwill and or SAG starts feeling like they are losing goodwill. They might sacrifice things that they shouldn't have to sacrifice, and it's not a good thing. Um, so I agree. I I hope people that it's kind of like maybe just let's just shut up about it, let it work, let it done, let SAG AFTRA make their statements when they like nobody else except for SAG AFTRA and AMCPA they can do their own thing as well. They should be able to discuss what they are going. If they want to say this is going on, this is where we are. That's fine, but listen to what they're saying and don't try to jump the gun and try to read between the lines, at least publicly. If you want to do it privately, that's fine. That's up to you. I can't stop you doing it in your own head. But publicly, I think it does more damage, and I got we got to stop that um, to a degree. Um, but the strikes are still ongoing. I should share, a, to get off uh, to a more positive note, I'll share this here. Uh, we, we both got the same text yesterday. Oh, yeah. Um, for our, our, man, our man Winston Marshall. Uh, for the big thing, and uh, you know, throwdown competitor and all that stuff. Had the, the, the blaggy sword. Uh, wonderful guy. One of my favorite people in the space. Uh, he's a, a good-hearted dude, good fun dude. Just text me. I don't know where he goes. And I just met Ed Harris, Ed Harris on the uh, ticket lines. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> oh, it was the best. I feel so uh, loved when we hear things like that from people. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, there's a certain brand we have, or, you know, that we do, and we create, cultivate for ourselves a degree. I, I don't mean that in any kind of, like, malicious way like we don't like it's not fake but it is it is who we are we have our loves we're we're, we're very out and proud about who we love and who we who we uh who we talk about all the time and everything else so we kind of yeah. create that space people think of bruce campbell they think of pj campbell if you'll think of it harris or the rocketeer or the rocketeer pld they think about it at harris they think about pld or queen so it's it's nice to be remembered and uh good for winston i'm happy you got to meet the man briefly i guess he tried a nice little fist bump and then you know fight the power kind of situation <laughs> Yeah, I got to move on, but uh, I did love that great positive note for the day, and uh, thanks, Vincent, for thinking of me. So, uh, <laughs> uh, also one one other uh, side note, code coda to all this, if you will. There's a new Doctor Who spinoff uh, that mm-hmm. drops starting tomorrow uh, over on iPlayer in Britain. We are not getting it in America, which is. <laughs> questionable in this we're in a day and age where none of this makes sense in the same way that if disney plus and hbo max are not in other countries what are we doing like we all share the internet you're you're just asking people to pirate but we are alas getting a new doctor who spinoff called tales from the tardis uh it's a six episode miniseries featuring the sixth seventh eighth doctor a bunch of the different companions from over the years and it looks fantastic and i can't wait to see the story and how it unfolds was it? Are they all dropping tomorrow? Or just the first episode dropping? I'm gonna do like a weekly. I think it's right just now? the first episode. At least that was the way I read it. But. It's weird to me about the whole Doctor Who thing. We're gonna tell. I don't want to get. We're gonna have Doctor Who episodes later on. I'm sure when everything comes out, we're just not going to stop ourselves. Um, but I do feel like it feels like Marvel back in the day. Marvel, got, <clears throat> excuse me, sold off their their characters and their rights like parcel by parcel and they paid for it they're still paying it for it they still don't have complete rights to spider-man for example that kind of thing it feels like with classic who and new who and and doctor who kind of did the same thing i feel like it would be great if we could have gotten all back for the 60th but there's still some deals that have to be made here and there i kind of feel like eventually the game plan is to bring everything under the right banner and maybe then Disney Plus will get everything at that point, especially hopefully if it does well. If if if, if Doctor Who tanks on Disney Plus, then they're not going to worry about getting it. That would be a shame. Um, but if it does well enough, then Disney will hopefully eventually acquire licenses and we'll get everything as well. Um, it is a shame that we have to go through this and not celebrate this all together. It's just it's it's amazing to me that it still happens now uh, in this day and age as well. Uh, I gotta hate rights. <laughs> I hate that these rights can mess Me things up like too. this. But it, it's um, so again, you know, day and age where we can literally do anything and we are all connected th- this way, this is just an insane thing. And and the worst part about it is is like in a day in this age also too, it's not only that it's not happening, but the information is not coming quick enough. We should have the answers to a lot of these questions by now. Like for example, we just found out what, like a week ago, maybe, if that, like that the specials were going to be the 25th, 2nd and 9th or whatever. Like, we didn't know that. Like, it was October 25th, and we're like, yeah, it's in November sometime. How do you not, like, we all knew it was coming, that? but still. 
I mean, you know, I knew it was coming, but like, it's like you you don't have your day set. Like, for a sixth anniversary, you'd have that. Like, in March, it's going to happen here. We're all going to celebrate. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, what are we doing as far as that goes? And then it just, it, I, and speaking of information, was I just found out, and not through any real official source, um, I read somebody contacted a source at Disney Plus, and according to them, Disney Plus has the rights right now. They're going to drop the three new specials and then the next series, like everything going forward. Like they're not going to have any of the back catalog on Disney Plus for a while. That's from what I've heard from people. Somebody confirming yeah. that. But Disney Plus hasn't said that. You see, nobody has said that officially. It's been like through back channels. And maybe yeah. it might be the case that they didn't want to like admit that and go, oh, yeah, it's the home of Doctor Who. Kind of. It's the new home of Doctor Who. But it's like, really? I, I I don't understand. I don't get it. But so there's it's, some status going on. Sure. So the business side of Doctor Who stinks. That's what I'm going to say. That like, I'm looking forward to the RTD era and everything he's doing and everything else. And hopefully getting to see everything. But I don't even know if like, I'm sorry, I blank on the name, like Doctor Who Confidential or whatever. Is that the, that's the name of it? Yeah. yeah, yeah Doctor, behind the scenes. Name. Yeah. So that was the original. It's got a new name, but Doctor Who Confidential, it's just whatever a continuation it of that. Right. And I hope we're getting that. I don't know if we're getting that on Disney Plus at this point. I, I are we getting what, what are we doing here? We should be able to celebrate everything together. Um, but you know, if we have to be Jack Sparrow, we have to be Jack Sparrow, I guess. Because I want my guns and I want to be able to see. I, I should, as an American Doctor Who fan, and I'm not saying this as an American, like Americans are right, but as anything, as an American Doctor Who fan, I, I, I should be able to see the Doctor Who content. And that's anybody in the world, anybody who doesn't get that content that's in the UK, and as a Mexican, as a South American, anybody. If you're a Doctor Who fan, wherever you live, you should be able to get the content that's coming out as as Doctor Who. It, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah, especially I, I mean, with the I ideas love... that he's thrown out there about what we're getting from RTD. Like we we spent how many times talking about like oh I'm like calm, like, PJ, calm down, calm down. You're hyping yourself up too much. We're not going to get all this content we're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but even then, like I want to get what we get. Yeah, but... I don't know. It's one of those like. Again, we've talked about it too, and this kind of goes into even sports and things, but we live in a world where baseball can be blacked out depending on where you live. Um, And you're trying to watch certain games, even if you're paying for the MLB pass and then it blacks it out. It's like, I'm sorry, I paid for the thing right? and I can't access the thing. Why am I not able to watch the thing, even though it's clearly airing somewhere? Right, yeah. All Um, have to do with rights issues of the thing. It's like they have these exclusive contracts and stuff, and it's like, yeah, it's 2023, pay guys. Pay licenses. It's 2023. Right? Let's uh, let's not do this anymore. But Tales from the TARDIS sounds cool, at least. And I'll yeah. say this: on top of it, um, once in future officially ended the initial seven episode run. Uh, we're not getting the Coda episode till next November, uh, like November 2024. So right. the initial once in future storyline that Big Finish did for the 60th has ended, and uh. Cheers to them. It ended up being an excellent love letter to all things Doctor Who. Um, what a f- great final episode with a lot of great surprises along the way. Um, it really felt like a proper love letter. Absolutely. And I hope the uh, I hope the 60th also feels that way. I will say the rest of the specials are, it is coming out November 25th. That's the first one. I've heard some things already, a little bit, no spoilers. But um, what makes sense is I want to throw it out there for all Doctor Who fans. Or casual fans, or somebody who might be interested in finally checking in. From what I've heard, the first one is good, uh, but is definitely kind of a training wheels 
kind of uh, episode to a degree, like kind of because it's a new era. It's a it's a new level. It's a completely new era, completely new chapter. Um, this is actually probably in a way a good starting jumping in point to a degree. Um, from what I've heard, there's definitely some training wheels to get, get you caught up as well as being a love letter. Um, and the second and third episodes of the specials are supposedly wild and fun. And uh, I can't wait for those as well. So a lot of things to yeah, talk about with that. David Tennant said that episodes two and three are Russell completely unleashed. I remember if I'm, yeah. if I remember correctly, the words. So uh-huh. I'm, uh, I'm very excited to see exactly what that means because I have so many thoughts of where it's going and what it's going to be. And I can't wait to see what it is. Um, but we've spent almost 50 minutes talking about not everything else <laughs> the thing that everyone apparently came here to listen to today. <laughs> so you know let's get into it we're gonna get in our uh way way back machine as it were or well, uh blue it, it ironically enough the way way back machine is bigger on the inside and looks like a police phone box <laughs> from the 60s but you know here we are uh it's now the summer of 1986 mm-hmm. and we are talking friday the 13th part six jason lives or jason lives friday the 13th part six however you want to say the title i've heard it both ways as uh sean yeah. would say and gus i've heard it both ways <laughs> uh sean and gus and psych in the best best show love psych uh their tuesday what is it tuesday the 12th or whatever one of the best shows of episodes that's a love letter to friday the 13th of all time if you've never seen that episode it, sean astin is in it i if i'm remembering correctly or not sean astin the is it sean astin in that one there's someone in it that is recognizable that I'm trying to remember. It may be the dude who played Foggy in Daredevil. Um, oh, uh, Eldon Henson? Show. Yes. I have to look now. But I digress. Anyway, following Friday the 13th, Part 5. I'm a little over-caffeinated now. Sorry, guys. Second cup of coffee of the day. Uh, coming off Friday the 13th, Part 5, they the reception was not great. It made less money than all the previous movies to that point. And they knew that they needed to get back on track to make a film that was more in the vein of the thing that people like the franchise being, meaning we need Jason back, you dumb motherfuckers. And so that's the, yeah, that's basically the all got together. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's get Jason back here. And then they got a gentleman named Tom McLaughlin who started his work as a mime. Not joking, he was a professional mime, which is just <laughs> the coolest story ever. Uh, this gentleman named Tom McLaughlin came in, and he really wasn't that interested funny enough to make another to make a movie in the friday the 13th franchise but he decided screw it i i'll play along and what we get is a beautifully meta hysterically funny very fun entry of the friday the 13th franchise featuring not one not two but three absolute banger songs from alice cooper (laughs) the best characters in the franchise the best dialogue in the franchise Boy, everything about this movie is an absolute win, and it is an atrocity, not an actual atrocity. Uh, bad word to use right now when actual atrocities are happening across the world. Let right. me uh, roll that back. We're going to say that it's a it's massively disappointing that this movie underperformed as bad as it did coming off of Friday Part 5. I got to say, we talked about a little bit about this before we started recording, but it feels that I don't know if there's any way that this film does be successful after five it's due to like the, the the backlash from five was such that 
the best performance that this film could do is what it did, and that's underperform at the box office, but find a whole new life in uh, VHS uh, rentals, etc. At the time, VHS rentals, because um, it has turned now into one of the most beloved of the franchise. People talk about this. It's almost always with reverence. It's almost always in like you do rankings uh, like we do. I could do. It's always going to be towards the top of the list, if not people's favorite of all time. Um, and I, when people say that, I, I don't know, I'm still kind of going through it. I did a couple that I might have over it. One or two, I might have over it, but when people say this is their favorite one, I'm like, yeah, totally, totally get it. Totally understand. Um, and it comes down to Tom McLaughlin having this idea. Tom McLaughlin had, done one previous horror film i believe it was and he kind of like you like to your point he says like you know what i don't know if i want to touch this tired franchise which is definitely in the bottom of the barrel but he had this idea like maybe we can do this and it definitely worked in the better and the way i could say it best is professionalism it just felt like a professional movie and that's what um we both talk about crystal lake memories the documentary set that's on friday the 13th and it's a wonderful documentary um yeah it's right there uh, we watch i tend to what we both watch it after the episode we watch the segment on the, the film and everybody to it to it to a degree to a point will just say that how professional the set was how professional tom was and how almost easy this film was to make in like in comparison to some of the others that another horror story man i mean it's never easy to make but the, the the set was a very friendly fun set and everybody had a great time overall um, except for the one producer who was trying to penny pinch. Yeah. That was some funny stories in there. Um, but yeah, it, it, it comes off on screen because Friday the 13th Part 5 had its moments, but you kind of felt a little icky about it at times. Like, well, I, don't, I don't I don't know if that's because not, I know some of the background, but like, it just feels a little weird. This one feels fun and positive. I, I think also part of the problem with 5 it feels gross in a lot of ways and very exploitive. Like they said, they were trying to make a grindhouse movie. That was what the filmmaker was going for. Right. And that's fine. The problem is also is that it never fully wants to commit to anything. Right. It, it never commits to a tone fully. It never commits to any of its ideas fully. It's a, it's a little frustrating. Uh, right. It's why you, you can look at it the way I told you, like there's an argument to be made that it's all just a hallucination. hundred percent. Oh, and quite frankly, right? That's what this film basically says it is. At least yeah. the ending. At least the ending is completely knocked off. I mean, it doesn't completely wipe it out. I mean, it doesn't do the... I think in a good way, it doesn't completely wreck on everything, like, officially, but it implies it. I like, I guess, the best way to do it, because there's probably... I mean, maybe there aren't. I don't know. Maybe there's some diehard fans of Friday the 13th Part 5. You don't want to alienate those fans, necessarily, but you kind of give them the escape clause. If you didn't like the last one... We can kind of pretend it didn't happen. We can kind of pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Um, I, I think that's a good thing to do. You kind of imply it. And let fans come to their own decision. Let fans making their headcanon is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. No, absolutely not. But one of the things I love about this one is out the gate, this movie absolutely knows exactly what it was going to be, what it was going for. Tom McLaughlin decided to make a universal monster gothic horror film. Yeah, featuring Jason that, that is also very comedic and yeah. that is exactly what this movie is it is a movie that is in on the joke of we know that you wanted Jason back so we're going to bring Jason back but we're going to make it a universal monster movie we're going to make him an unstoppable force we're going to make right. him a universal monster this movie really should have just been shot in black and white and but, oh, really no, yeah. like yeah like really just to make it all feel like it comes together 
because even down to Manfredini, uh, Manfredini's score, you listen to it and it sounds exactly gothic. like those like gothic horror films. This movie is so just oozing and dripping with that universal monster feel. And it makes me so happy. Well, definitely. I know you're a big universal monsters fan um, more so than I am. I enjoy them. I respect them, but you, you love them and that's great. Um, so I totally want to understand. Right, I do, motherfucker. Absolutely. I, <laughs> I, it's fine. I'm not saying anything bad against them. It's so you love them more than I do. That's all. Um, I know. But uh, uh to your point, I want to actually bring up the fact that Manfredini's score does sound like that, and it absolutely does, but he also does the great job of making, it's a combo score. It's not like he totally forgets the Friday the 13th. It feels, still sounds like a Friday the 13th score. It's almost like a remix of the Friday the 13th score yeah. done in a gothic way, which is the best way to handle it. Um, I, I agree completely about the whole the whole thing set up. We have the cold open. I'll get to it in a second, but I'm going to bring up one thing that happens at the end of the cold open that shows exactly what this film is. And that's of course the famous James Bond moment where at the end yes. of the open end of like the kind of cold open of the film, we get, get that look in his eye and we get to see Jason walk in parodying a Jason, a James Bond film, walking in, turning. And, and it's the, it sets up exactly this, what this film is. And we need to let you know, this is not your mother's Jason come yeah. along with us and have a good time with us. Um, Without ever being disrespectful to to the franchise, it's a thing. It's like it, it, it kind of walks this great fine line. It's a tough no, totally. line to, to cross, but they, they do it well. It, it's so funny because I actually think, for all intents and purposes, the last three films in the initial Paramount franchise—this movie, seven and eight—they form a very interesting trilogy amongst themselves of movies that finally just start having fun right with the concept instead of needlessly trying to be more serious about it right and taking it seriously like now granted seven and eight are not nearly as meta but they right. have a camp factor still i mean the next movie might as well just be carrie versus jason like which is you know spoiler alert for where we're going with this but the next one is basically carrie versus jason they start to get weird and wild. That movie being the, you know, being a love letter to a lot of the psychological things that have been going on in the, like the Stephen King years of horror. And well, let me also interject. Real let me interject real quick, and I'll, I'll let you continue your point. The funny thing is, bringing our conversation back to what we talked about in the beginning of the episode. This is how far back the idea of Friday versus Jason was toiled with. Uh, was, right. Because that's what the original plan for Friday 7 was. Like, when we can do that, when that didn't work out at the time, that's when they brought in the other horror icon. Not really Carrie, but basically Carrie, or also Jason versus the X-Men to a degree. <laughs> that's another yeah. way they looked at it as well. Um, please continue. I want to throw that up as a connection. Oh, no, exactly. It, it's so funny because you look at it and they start to really embrace kind of the, well, we made Jason an unstoppable killer and a monster. Mm -hmm. Let's have some mm -hmm. fun with it. And I I really think that Tom McLaughlin had such a handle on the franchise. And what's interesting is that in hindsight, because you and I are big fans of the Never Heck Alone films that Womstomp mm -hmm. has done. We've, we've brought them up here a few times and we will be covering uh, Never Heck Alone 1 and 2. Uh, we're going to do the ghost cut of the first one. So that includes Never Hike in the Snow. Right. So right. that's why I'm calling it one and two. We're just treating it that that way. Um, right. They've released it that way. So, you know, kudos to them. Yeah. But 
those two films are direct sequels to this film and continued to prove why we all like Tommy Jarvis as a character. And I think that this film in particular really reminds me why Tommy Jarvis has become so beloved in the intervening years um, as far as final boys are concerned or final men or final whatever you want to call them in horror. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. And I do think that comes down to Tom Matthews. Um, this actually feels like the proper continuation of Tommy Jarvis from Corey Feldman. Yeah, um, yeah, I absolutely agree. John Herbert, five... I don't I don't want to knock him at all. Like we talked about it during our episode. He definitely had his own take on on this, what he was going for. He was obviously in a little bit of a different movie than everybody else was uh, to a yes. degree. And but I am glad that he didn't come back. He was like talked about coming back for this one. That's what the, they considered him at first. And then they he went another direction. And that's I think that was best for both both sides i think he did fine in five i'm not gonna knock him but this definitely felt more like tommy jarvis from four and not only that it also felt like the tommy jarvis that was much more in tone for this film like john shepherd's tommy jarvis does not fit this film even worse than <laughs> his, his film in a new beginning um that's why i agree with you completely and i agree with you completely about tommy jarvis as a whole losing tommy jarvis in the franchise for the next couple kind of makes the franchise lose a step or whatever. I completely understand why they don't use Tommy Jarvis in seven, because if you're going to do the Jason versus Carrie thing, that's your angle. You don't need Tommy Jarvis in that. But I almost feel like they should have gone back to Tommy for part eight um, to a degree. They could have found a way to bring him involved somehow. Um, Uh, Similarly, honestly, I kind of look back at Freddy versus Jason in a weird light in that, uh, where there's an argument to be made that, he really should be in the movie um, well, in some capacity. Right. Now, a lot of them, they should have been in the movie. Like, that, that should have been a culmination of like they did in some ways, they made it a great culmination of, of both the Friday mythology and the nightmare mythology. The bits of pieces of both. Um, and yeah. maybe the, maybe the a 90 plus minute movie would falter if you try to bring back all the other people, but it felt like there was a place for Tommy Charles. Uh, just like it was a place for maybe Alice from nightmare kind of thing. Like the, you could have made some of those work out and had those kind of moments with them. Um, but they didn't. And, and we never see Tommy again. And that seems like a mistake considering how this film ended. Elvis sets up Jason versus Tommy as this like big thing. And I think never hike alone understands that and shows us what we could have mm-hmm. gotten. 
Um, yeah, it's it's funny to your point too. Like Freddy versus Jason, they had written dialogue about him that eventually event gets cut from the movie. Right. But then Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, they did a second comic afterwards, like a second six part series, and that was the what was it the New Warriors or whatever, like the yeah. Nightmare Warriors, I think is what they call them. And yes. Tommy is a part of that group as well because that's when right. they start to bring everything together but it's just funny like you would have thought in freddy versus jason he him appearing in some capacity just almost makes sense yeah. because he survived he's a survivor he should yeah. probably be you know talked to in the situation for what's happening um and apparently he was like running for mayor or something and they cut <laughs> that out of the movie he was supposed to be running for mayor of crystal lake that's funny <laughs> yeah um but that I love great. this character. It would have been great. And I love Tom Matthews as the character specifically. Um, and this movie does a thing that you and I have been talking about a lot um, back and forth is that I actually really appreciate that this movie in particular and also the Never Hike movies to a point, they stop being focused on just teenagers. Right. And they start to put actual adult characters into meaningful positions, not just like one-off kill type things. Part five starts to do it a little bit, mm -hmm. but this one kind of puts a lot of adult characters into the situation and it starts to actually feel like a real threat. And you start to have some more interesting dichotomy in how things are there. When you're looking at Sheriff Garris, when you're right. looking at Rip Clone, when you're looking at, the caretaker and all these different characters. And to that point, that's why they were originally going to introduce Jason's dad at the end of this movie. That was initially never shot. It's in the novelization and the storyboards were done, but that was where they were going, which oh, I, I think Friday for seven would have been way different. I want to talk about that. Some, I don't know if we can talk about, oh, you yeah, know, maybe we'll, we'll talk about it. Just for now. now. Sure. We're not talking about I was going to, I was going to say it till the end. Cause that's the big thing they were talking about at the end. Um, but I love, the concept of having Jason's father in there because we know all about Jason's mother, um, but yeah. we never even think about his father until like, and I know we wouldn't have if I, I probably wouldn't have for the longest time, but that was originally the idea that, that they had for the ending. And I saw if you watch the Crystal Lake Memories doc, they actually show you like the storyboard of it, and I kind of like that would have been amazing. And actually, in a way, I brought this is one of the reasons I brought up the uh, uh, Mancuso. Uh, doing well but not always doing the right thing like he said quite frankly he's like you know i love the idea i didn't think it, it it set up what we need to do with what we need to do with seven that's why we changed it uh to a degree because then you, you're kind of stuck in your own place you'd have okay, if you end it that way you'd have to have continued now there's no way you can drop that and not explore it later on um and of course we're left with the idea this did kind of happen in halloween um to right. we had a similar situation it wasn't michael's father but we had that character that was dropped um in the beginning of the, uh, of the film in like five and like, he's throughout the man in black and is there throughout and then they had to continue it in six and six had no idea how to continue it and we got what we got ended up screwing the pooch let's be honest with you um so it, it'd be interesting to see if friday the 13th would have fallen into the same like Disparity, you have Tom and Glock and introducing the character, having this idea, and then having somebody else pitch seven, and then it's something different and screwed up. I don't know, but I would love to have seen at least in the alternate universe in which it happened and uh, give it a shot, to be honest. And this is coming from someone who 
Nightmare, uh, Friday 7 is one of the nostalgia wise. That was the first Friday film I ever saw. I had a lot of love in my heart for, for Jason versus Carrie. Um, but I, as a fan of the franchise now, I would be very interested to see how that would have gone differently. Yeah, it's so funny, too, because, you know, here we talk about all the time. Maybe we don't need to open up the can of worms of do we need to learn about their pasts and things like that? And yet this was one of those I actually would have been very interested just because Pamela is so built into the franchise of being the original killer and all of that. And so, right. So Elias being a character because that was his name and he has since shown up in like off media comics and things like that. Cause apparently did you know there was a Jason versus Leatherface comic in the nineties? Uh, no, I did not. Yeah. There was a three part mini series and Elias was in it. Ah. Uh, Pamela ends up murdering him. It's a thing. I've never read it. I I've read the like information of it since, but I did not know that it was even a thing um, until much later in life. Tops comics made it. Ah. So I digress. Um, you know what? I do remember that now. Like I kind of blanked it from my memory, but now that you mentioned, I kind of remember seeing the uh, the uh, cover. I remember seeing it in the comic yeah. store. I never got it because, well, as I first started into comics, I didn't want to venture out of the Marvel or DC realm. Like, well, a lot of, of us stuff. didn't. Like we kind of, like, you know. But I loved horror. I wasn't a horror comics guy. I was like, ah, I want to see this stuff on the big screen. I want to watch it. Yeah. 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 For, I was dumb, honestly speaking. But, you know, that's what it was. We're just different tastes at the time. Um, yeah, that's kind of funny. I kind of vaguely remember the the first one. I think the, the I remember the iconic thing. Like I remember, I remember correctly now. It had Jason like like holding almost holding Leatherface up, and I was yeah. like, yeah, it's kind of a interesting. Oh, very. I didn't know Elias was in that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So they've tried. They've toyed with it since. Obviously, like they were going to bring him into the reboot at one point that that they did in two thousand nine, and that didn't happen. Then they were going to do another one, and he was going to be in that. Like. They've toyed with the Elias of it all for so long, but ultimately, as much as I also would have loved to see it, it was probably the right move yeah. because if Tom McLaughlin doesn't come back and follow up the story he is setting up, you are setting yourself up for failure. And it's the funny thing of you and I have talked about this in the past, the Friday franchise and the Halloween franchise, they overlap a lot and end up stealing, whether intentionally or not, each right. other's ideas. And so right. the fact that the man in black is a very similar Elias thing that ends up existing within that franchise is fascinating to me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's funny. I just looked up, I kind of like glanced through, I looked up Elias Voorhees and some of the appearances and he's on the Friday 13th wiki and he, he did appear, obviously we mentioned it in this whole Jason versus Leatherface thing, but he also appeared one of the next things he appeared in was something was a comic called Friday the 13th Pamela's Tale and you know who wrote that? Mm-mm. Mark Andreco. No shit. Our our, our out friend Mark Andreco wrote a two issue comic book series miniseries called Friday Thirteenth Pamela's Tale. Um, Somehow I totally missed that. That is awesome. Good for Mark. I need to find yeah. that. I have to definitely gotta find an officer. Contact him. Contact him. Talk to him about. It. We could have him on the show. Maybe talk about it at some point. Who knows? Because uh, <laughs> we love Friday Thirteenth. Yeah, wouldn't hate that at all. Uh, we do a quick interview or something. That'd be fun. Really cool. Um, yeah. So I'm interested to see where he goes, where where Elias Voorhees goes, and a couple of different things. Maybe it's a great place for him to appear. Would be the Crystal Lake uh, TV series or something to that effect. Maybe I don't know. I, I'm a little worried that that may not happen now. You uh, are with the Brian Fuller 
of everything uh, with the allegations that came out about him recently. Oh, uh, I missed that, unfortunately. Uh, I Apparently, a lot of people did. It happened very... Uh, it hasn't seemed to get a lot of traction, but there was some allegations against uh, Brian Fuller that came out, uh... and I'm a little worried that it may stall that project out. Not that he shouldn't be held accountable if it's true, but more that Horse, that yeah. this is a franchise that has had so many ups and downs and problems to get off the ground that any bump like that could easily be seen as screw it, just dump it. Yeah. Um, so mm, disappointing. Disappointing on so many levels. Um both personally yeah. with Brian Fuller and, and and you know what? I shouldn't say either because like we don't know the, the I don't know the details on the truth. I don't want to just automatically say whatever happened, but like Obviously, it's sticky ground, and it's that's unfortunate that it is going through this no matter what happened. Um, if it is true, then he has to be held accountable. Absolutely, he has to be held accountable for his actions. Um, but also, you know, from a, from a horror standpoint as well, fan standpoint, it's disappointing that that this would possibly go away because of it. Um, it's very sad, very sad on all sorts yeah. of levels. Um, but I would obviously, be shocked. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was saying obviously the personal side is more important than the. TV side of things as well, but you know, there's oh, some TV side of things yeah, as well. That's why I wanted to make sure that my my amendment on that was it's not disappointing that it would go away if the it, it was all true. It would just be right. disappointing that it derailed it in the anything can really kill something like this. Yeah, and, absolutely. But at the same time, if this has to fall by the wayside because something has happened, then I also yeah. then let it be. Um, no. I do think a because it's a twenty four if I'm remembering correctly who's also involved. Mm. I I don't see them shelving it right away either, but there is a part of me that wonders if you know because do you pay off? I don't want to get into it anyway. No. You know, All I have to say is there. that it's got to happen. Something's got to happen because you have Friday thirteenth hasn't seen anything since two thousand nine, and Nightmare on Elm Street hasn't seen anything since two thousand ten. And what are we doing thirteen? 14 years later, like these are cash. These you can make money off these franchises still. It might not be like blockbuster money that you're used to. You put a low budget in, you can make this work. This is I this is obviously a land of IP, recognizable IP. They should stuff should be done with them. Get the rights worked out, figure out something. Do a TV show, don't do a TV show, do a movie, do something. Get something done. You're missing out on money. I don't understand how this is not viable for like I don't. How can you how can you overlook this franchise these franchises and not do something with them at this point? Honestly, man, it is uh it is wild to me that this franchise continues to be this dead. Yeah. So <laughs> like, that and nightmare. here we are talking about Jason lives and yet Jason ain't living too much. <laughs> and thank God again, once again, never hike alone being in existence has been such a treat because it feels like uh people really get it and really want to do something with it and it was so funny because i actually saw someone was talking about the guy who made the terrifier films really wants to remake friday the 13th and i i have so little interest in that um mm. as a concept because i'm not i don't really like terrifier um they're fine it is not my style of horror mm. and i i don't want jason to become that to me they are very different types of slashers so i have oh, I, very little interest in that i don't disagree with you i will i want to take one step back put forth a caveat just because the guy made the terrifier films doesn't mean he can make the jason films the same way 
So if he has an idea, maybe it could work. You never know. Uh, but I completely understand your hesitance and your, your feelings of the matter. Cause I also would not want to see that kind of Jason as well. Um, I'd watch it. I'd definitely give it a shot because that's who I am. I love the franchise enough to be a fan that I have to absolutely give it a shot. But I, too, don't really want to see my own ideas. I wouldn't want to see that as well. I think there's plenty of other people who would give it. It would be a better choice for the for the franchise, for sure. I mean, again, I think the Womp Stomp people wouldn't be the worst people. And it was interesting because I was reading some of their comments about what they would do if they got the money. And they were like, honestly, we would even consider doing like a full proper version of never hike alone, like basically readapt it as right. a movie. Right. With, with and I was like, God, yeah, like imagine that that would be, mm-hmm. that'd be something. Um, so looking at this movie though, in particular, like getting us back on track with the Jason Voorhees of it all. Yeah. I love that this movie decides to open with, you know what? Screw it. We're going to go the Frankenstein route. We're just going to, he's going to get hit by lightning because Tommy just can't leave well enough alone. And he grabs a metal <laughs> iron rod in the middle of a lightning storm with his little Igor style friend, if you will. Or you know. Yeah. And welcome Alan, back, Cotter. Yeah. Yeah. Alan Hawes, uh, the late, great Ron Polilio. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this. I, I love this opening because again, it tells you everything you need to know about the movie. And then again, to your point, the aforementioned, you know, Jason doing the Bond. James Bond opening. <laughs> it's all perfect. Yeah. It works. It's yeah. great. And this movie is frequently this way. It sings yeah. all the time because it's always breaking the fourth. Like they have a character who breaks the fourth wall quite legitimately and jokes about the fact that people find this entertaining. Right. Absolutely. This film wastes no time. That's one of the best parts about the film. It's it's a lean machine, Jason. It's not even 90 minutes. It just, but it knows it's not 90 minutes. It knows it doesn't have a lot of time to waste on anything else. There is no recap uh, at all. We have a cold open. And the funny thing is like, I remember my second note is a little bit like, what the fuck is the game plan here, Tommy? Like, what are you doing, Tommy? Tommy's actually, honestly speaking, like, and essentially, he is the villain of this film <laughs> to a degree. Yeah. <laughs> he shapes her form. But I love the fact it's like, it is a I don't give a fuck return at this point. Tommy Lockland, the, the whole thing about Jason, the entire franchise, like two, three, and four, especially when Tommy gets to four, is like, this guy's got to be supernatural. Look what he survived in two. Now he survives it in three. And here we are at four. He has that thing. He's going to come back. We are surrendering to this. All right. You've got to be supernatural at this point. There's no way around it. So here we are. We're going to go, you know what? Let's make him full on supernatural. We see his like maggot infested, decayed body come down, and also the lightning comes down. Hey, maggot head. Maggot head, right? Maggot head. He's my favorite. <laughs> He's super, super Jason at this point. He kind of comes back on the ground, not quite as super Jason as Jason X, but he still is super zombie Jason at this point. And here we are. It wastes no time setting this up. And you're like, you know what? All right. It goes so fast that you're kind of like, you don't have time to go, wait, what's going on here? I, what the hell? You're like, all right, I'm, I'm on board the road. Exactly. It doesn't give you time to think. Let's go. All right. Let's, I'm, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> and one of the things I love so much about this movie, too, is, you know, we just, we we're talking about it, but like the dialogue is so fun and so oddly crisp. Like, how many times have you and I done the, like, you know, anywhere the red dot goes, yeah, bang. bang. Like, it, <laughs> It's so cheesy. Uh, the what do you got? 
I've got a whole enchilada. Like all these lines of dialogue that are just so cheesy and wonderful and good and weird. And the characters all kind of weirdly stand out. Like the, you know, the weirdly, weirdly sexist dude in the paintball tournament who's like, she should have stayed in the kitchen. Like women don't belong out here just to get his arm ripped off by Jason. There is so much just wonderful weirdness to this movie. Yeah, Tom McLaughlin is just on the wavelength of, I want to have fun, and we're going to make this fun, and the movie is going to know that it's fun, and we're going to point at it so that when the critics watch it, they can't be nearly as hard on it, because how can you be hard on a movie that's being hard on itself and already making fun of itself? Absolutely, it's it's a wonder. It's a it's a great way to put it. It doesn't, and it goes like I said, it goes that whole I don't give a fuck moment. I mean, the fact is, I love the fact that Tommy puts all his gasoline on him after he comes out of the grave, starts to match and what happens, a sudden thunderstorm. We had the thunder and lightning and how the rain just like, just goes down. Like automatically just, it's like, really? This is going to happen now? All right. I'm on board. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so but I good, love the man. next part after the, after the, the credit sequence and everything else. Um, again, it sets up Tommy. The next thing we see is Tommy at the police station. And I gotta say, it was a it's kind of a brilliant setup because the way Tommy comes in, I mean the police are usually considered like usually in these slasher movies, they're a little bit bumbling. They they don't listen to the characters, and the whole time you're like, listen to the kids, they're telling you what's going on. Oh my god, Jason's back. Yeah, but the way Tommy goes in, guns blazing, all balls to the wall, you completely understand why the, the sheriff's like, fuck you, kid. Even though it's also, that. you know, Tommy's Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. It's Tommy's fault and everything else, the whole thing. So it sets up the police and it like this because the sheriff's actually one of my favorite characters in the story. He's a good man. He's a like a, a moral man. He he is actually in any way, shape, and form. He's actually probably a real hero to the degree of the film, even if he is our our little secondary antagonist because of the way Tommy is. Uh, it's a great, brilliant way to set it up. Like so, none of these characters are really annoying. Uh, to a degree it's that they are you believe what's going on you believe why it's happening and again it sets up tommy as a real villain to a degree because he just oh he loses it yeah it's the best and again i think that also comes to the tom matthews performance of it all yeah. if i don't believe in this tommy being so mm-hmm. rational and, and unhinged mm-hmm. i don't think the movie works and i think mm-hmm. that Tom Matthews ends up really humanizing Tommy in an interesting way because 
again, he seems like a real transition from the Corey Feldman one, which is why when they initially bring Jason back, you start to hear the audio of Corey Feldman attacking Jason mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. Right. And I love that because it feels like a proper transition more right. so than what you get from five to, you know, four to five. Yeah. Then you realize all the pain that he has gone through and you, you feel for him, which is why you also you kind of just go, you know, I really don't blame him for being so psychotic about all this. Yeah. I really don't blame him for going off of the rails and doing all this because the pain that he has felt in the, all the, everything that's happened to him, of course, he's going to be like this. hundred percent. And I got to say on top of that, you put him with Jennifer cook as this character, Megan, and Megan is a great final girl and such a great like addition to this franchise. Uh, again, I think it's actually a bummer that from here, we don't get a, con- a proper continuation with them in the series as a 100%. whole, because they are so good together. Um, they just work. Absolutely. I was going to, yeah, I'll get to Jennifer. Uh, you know, I was going to get Jennifer cooking a bit when she gets introduced, but I'll, I'll think about it now. Um, specifically for my channel, uh, it's very <laughs> good because Jennifer Cook, of course, was introduced in. I knew you v. were going to do this. I knew that there was a plug here. Had to be. Had to be. Not even a plug. So I love V. V was my favorite show of the 80s as far as sci-fi goes. And yes, plug on this channel, myself and Lego are going to the V franchise on review. We're talking about V the series right now. And we talk about Jennifer Cook all the time. And it was actually Jennifer Cook's performance in V that led Tom McLaughlin to want to cast her. And I got to say, Jennifer Cook is a really talented actress. She's a very different character in V, much like V's Robert England is a totally different character yeah. from his Freddy Krueger. Um, Jennifer Cook plays a character in V where she is, uh, her character is a two year old girl who basically gets amped up to be a 17 year old girl as far as like, you know, she, she goes to a cocoon. She, she ages up, but she's got the mentality of a young girl. Yeah. Um, and she plays it very innocently and very good, very different from this character. This character definitely no innocent young flower, but she's very, uh, a very woman of the world, young and naive in some ways, but not to the same degree. Um, Jennifer Cook does a great job with this character and a character that almost, I feel like in a lot of slashers would have been, a very annoying character could have been a very off-putting character. You root for her and she does everything pretty much right. About the only time you get like a little bothered by her is when she starts calling off her daddy at the camp. So right. like, but at the same Which time Which is such a weird choice. I've never I I feel like she's too smart for that at that point. I've never loved agree. that little moment. I agree. But otherwise the rest of it's great. Especially because of how she handles the kids. Like, she goes into the camp and she handles them very well. She's like, yep, we're going to be good. We're going to be fine, everything else. And she handles everything else great. Uh, but what a great character she is. And I get she is definitely a good foil as the sheriff's daughter, as it were, and a great com- uh, opposite of uh, Tom, of Tom Matthews. Um, so, yeah, great, great character, great, great performance. I wish we got more of her. I really do. I, I agree. I wish we got more of her. Maybe we still will. I keep hoping, like, in all these days, all the legacy sequels, we obviously saw all the characters come back in the DGG Halloween trilogy uh, to a degree. I would love to see a legacy thing with Friday the 13th where we get a couple of those people back. Maybe Amy Steele as well, uh, Jennifer Cook, Tommy Jarvis. I mean, Tom Matthews would do it, I think, for sure. Uh, Tom Matthews oh, yeah. really hit a, 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 a pinnacle here. He's got this, and, of course, Return of the Living Dead. Uh, the year before, a great time, a great year to be Tom Matthews. You're going to have to be Tom Matthews. God, Return of the Living Dead is so good. There's so one. Good. 
that's a series I wouldn't mind doing eventually, even though that gets weird because there's so much off like brand weirdness yeah, to like the... what you put in the franchise. What don't you put in the franchise? Right. Because I mean, even like Return of the Living Dead has its own mm-hmm. sequel that is yeah. that he's also in, yeah. but he doesn't play the same character. character. Right. <laughs> Um, it's so strange, it, so which strange. is so odd. And I mean, like the Living Dead franchise overall is kind of weirdly messy. So, yeah. but God, I love them. Yeah. That I we could do. Let's figure it out, though. Yeah, I just genuinely think that this movie in particular was so smart in trying to change the formula, but yeah. not in the way that Part Five does. Because right. Part Five, again, its problem is is that it tries to go to a formula to a previous film that really in hindsight is not the most interesting movie in this franchise. Right. When you do part five and you're trying to do it more like part one and try to do the mask killer, it's a mystery thing again. You can't really put that genie back in the bottle. You no. know what I'm saying? Like, and it then evolved you don't well really past that. To it. Right. It, it evolved this, well past that. This movie decides to buck the trend of we haven't really fully evolved it. So let's try something different and let's make it a little more comedic and a little more accessible. And what's interesting is I was watching this last night with the miss and we're kind of sitting there and I keep catching out of the corner of my eye that she was watching this movie more than she's watched any of them. Like she actually was kind of gelling with some of the ways that I feel like that the comedy hits and the things that it's doing because it's so different. And, Oddly enough, it's kind of the least graphic of the movies, while oh, yeah. also having some of the best kills in the movies. It's a, it's, it, you know what it is, and I, I don't. This almost makes Sonic an insult, but it's really not to be. It's a clean film. Like Part Five yeah. was a very dirty, grimy film, and Grind it felt out. almost pornographic in a way. Like this, we mentioned this last night. I always seem to forget about this. This has no nudity in it. No nudity at all, and that was a stalwart of the franchise. This franchise was kills and kills and big boobs. That's what we get in this film, and we get none of that in this film. And yet, still my favorite part was still one of my favorite films of the franchise. Um, it's I, done to a great demand. I think it's a great way to do it. We're gonna make the exact opposite tonally, film wise, than Five was. I don't know if you noticed it, but like they kind of. For better or worse, someone kind of takes a swipe at the last movie and Danny Steinman in particular, like in the Crystal Lake memories, they were like, we have a real director this time, like yeah. someone who actually yeah. is a real filmmaker. And you're like, ooh, ooh, like right. that kind of it. But at the same time, like I kind of get what they mean, because. Steinman was really going for the exploitive shock value grindhouse thing. And that's really not what these movies are. And so to have someone who like stripped that away goes back to, okay, let me make a basic Friday the 13th movie, but then let me strip it further and add some horror elements that people love. Let me put in some of that Gothic horror. Let me add in some quippy eighties dialogue, especially in the middle of, you know, because this is 1986. John Hughes is getting very popular with very quippy dialogue and like big ensemble casts of teenagers that are, you know, fun and daring and different. And this movie kind of leans in on that in a weird way. No one, 
it does. And no one explicitly, even in the making of stuff, no one explicitly is like, hey, we're definitely chasing the John Hughes of it all. But in listening to the dialogue and listening to the way the characters interact, it has that feel. Like, there's that great moment. This movie has a bunch of kids in it. The first Friday movie to really have kids in the movie, mind you. And these movies have all been set in a goddamn summer camp. Right. (laughs) That's a funny thing about it, absolutely. Right. So we finally start to see kids in the movie, and it's really interesting. In that great moment where the girl, Nancy, is sees Jason and he like walks up to her while she's laying in the bed and he's kind of looking at her and she starts to close her eyes and pray, right. you know, she's doing the Lord's prayer for bed and Jason's like kind of tilting his head and leaning in and then he walks off. Right. And I love this moment for a lot of reasons because it's exactly what we're talking about, but it also has this air of, you know, we know Jason's a killer. But he's not a monster. He would never kill a child. He's not gonna kill a child. That was the thing. Because like again, yeah, you're right. They bring in the kids, and it's like, hey, wow, are they gonna are they gonna kill kids? That's always been a no no. Uh, outside of Piranha, by the way, which I just watched recently for the first time. My God, oh yeah, Joe, Joe Dante basically says fuck them kids. Um, oh yeah, is... Joe Dante kills all the children in that movie. <laughs> it's like wow, okay, that's, that's what we're doing here in the seven. Well, okay, um, but other than that, it's always been kind of that thing, like. Even Michael Myers doesn't seem like he's going to kill the kid, pretty much, except for when it comes to Jamie, because that's a different story. Um, not Jamie, Kurt, Jamie Lee Curtis, but Jamie yeah. from Halloween 4. Um, but this was a case of, oh my God, we're going to put all these characters, all these kids in danger, but Jason never really goes after him. He, he breaks into the room at the end again, but never does anything with it. And that's a, I think it's a good step to take. Um, because if you start having him do that, Jason's, as always, Jason has gotten to the point in the franchise after the sixth film where fans start rooting for him a little bit. It's the case where, like, you yeah. want to see Jason kill the teens that deserve it because they're, I mean, not that they no one really deserve getting massacred by a machete, of course, but as far as in a movie sense goes, teens act like jackasses. They do stupid stuff. You watch this, kill the stupid teenagers. Yeah, it's like, that's a kind of thing. You watch for horror film. That's one of the things you watch for. Um but in this case, they don't. And bring back to your other point regarding John Hughes, absolutely, this is John Hughes. The teenagers are all John Hughes characters. If this wasn't a horror yeah. film with big and killing kids, this would be a perfect setup for a John Hughes film uh, as far as that goes. Because there are no real assholes amongst the teenagers. I mean, Court yeah. is a little... Yeah, but he's not an asshole. You don't hate him for what you think he does. You're kind of like, ah, that's Court being Court. Um, John Travolta's nephew, by the way. First time right. I really realized that, but I didn't realize that till th- I had the same revelation. I'm like, oh my god, that is uh, what a, another, another welcome back, Cotter reference in this film. I guess maybe that's I'm welcome, yeah. welcome back, Cotter. Um, okay, I, I have to stop you real quick. Sorry, right. I, this is bringing up a thing. Have you seen the new John Travolta commercials of no. him as Santa Claus? That but they're parodying oh Saturday Night Fever. No, I have not. Oh my god. Okay, I need you to look this up later. It's literally okay. like they're parodying the Saturday Night Fever dance from New York, but it's John Travolta as Santa Claus. My god. It is uh it might be a thing of beauty. It might be the thing of nightmares, depending on how you're you want to look at it. Um I, I need go. you to go watch this later. Okay. Because it is uh it's a fascinating <laughs> thing. I, I I see it at the bar all the time because we <laughs> tend to have sports and stuff on right. and i kept it's come on a lot uh, lately 
All right. I'll take a look and see. Uh, this sounds fascinating and horrifying all at once. Um, but yeah, okay. Fine. <laughs> that man's career is just making commercials parodying his old stuff because the other one is the T-Mobile one with him, Zach Braff, and Donald Faison where they're parodying Greece. Yeah, they're trying I to get him to join T-Mobile. I. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, John, you know, yeah, got to make that buck. Got to make that dollar. But I get it. Got it. Yeah, got to uh, make the money. <laughs> make the money. Um, <laughs> after Gotti, I'm impressed he still has any kind of career left. Uh, you, anyway, mean, uh, you mean Jeff Alterman's favorite film of all time? Got favorite film of all time. Yes, he. Yeah, I, I name dropped that for him. Jeff's gonna give me some a Venmo hit soon for that. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Going back to Jason Lives, of course. Uh, we you mentioned the kids camps and everything else. Let's jump to the next bit, which is my one of the favorite scenes in the movie. You mentioned it kind of earlier, the paintball sequence. Um, not part of the kids' camp, but definitely in the same realm. We actually have this team of execs playing paintball. This is the first thing that was actually shot uh for the film with a different actor who's playing Jason. Um, Jason, who was, I guess, unceremoniously let go by the studio after Daylight's came in because, well, let's just say he didn't look like he had been emaciated for very long. For someone being really dead, he looked like he'd been eating a lot of sandwiches, I believe is what <laughs> yeah. I want to say. Yeah. And, you know, I hate that being a fellow fat guy. I hate hearing that, but uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, this point, that's what for Jason's got replaced a lot is many films that had multiple Jason's in it, um, which is what makes it so easy to do. It makes it so easy. Like, that's why a film should always be able to be made for Jason because you can almost put, almost anyone behind the mask um not almost anyone but like you don't have to have a star like robert england be in there he's not making right case um this is one of my favorite sequences of the film to be honest it just this showcases what this film really is there's a humorous side to it there's some great kill moments in it Uh, unfortunately edited down and i found out from the uh from the documentary, the, like uh, memories. yeah, like memories. But this is one of my favorite bits. There's humor. We got the the one guy, the misogynist, gets his arm ripped off, and that's one of my favorite kills in the movie when he throws the misogynist into like <laughs> the smiley the face. <laughs> the yeah. smiley face is carved in the wood; it gets all bloody. Um, you get the the uh, the female exec who takes out everybody else to their chagrin. Obviously, they're winning, but then the triple decapitation there. Uh, which I wish we got in the unedited version because it sounded really cool and seeing a little bit of the of the false footage there, or the uh, the footage that was there, that looked like it would have been a cool. It was still pretty cool nonetheless. You don't ever get it's still very happening. cool. I still love it as a kill. <laughs> right, sort of favorites of the whole thing. But my favorite bit, my favorite bit is Tom McLaughlin's uh, former mime friend uh, who plays yeah. a character named Roy. Yeah, Whitney Rybeck. Ride back, Roy. Playing Roy. And I gotta say, was it meant to be a metaphor? Was this meant to say we're gonna Roy? The whole Roy idea was pretty goddamn stupid, and we're sorry. So we're gonna make Roy a bumbling idiot <laughs> who Jason goes down and, <laughs> and tears apart pretty much. I, I feel like that was. A I they never thing. explicitly say it, but I don't think it was unintentional. Yes, that's what I kind of feel like it was. I feel it was intentional. Uh, Otherwise, I, why I mean, name why name movie Roy? that's very intentional? They they name drop. Carpenter for John Carpenter, like Karloff, the general story. Karloff, there's all sorts of little nods and winks to other filmmakers and other franchises and things throughout this movie. Yeah, Cunningham, obviously, because the creator of the franchise. There's just so much of that throughout this movie that the Roy of it all does not feel. When the name of the false Jason was Roy in the previous film, 
you're not going to name a character Roy right after that if you're not being meaningful or making a comment on it. And uh, that right. Roy is a bumbling idiot. And uh, who is uh, told very quickly. He is. And he's funny. He's funny. I love that. That's my favorite bit. When Roy shoots Jason with a paintball gun. And yeah, Jason, Jason stops and like, looks like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and Roy runs. Uh, so, and then all so, he's doing is screaming that he's gonna get killed, and then what happens? He gets killed. We actually, the funny thing is, we don't actually see him die. Right. We just see right. what happens afterwards. We, we see, see the, the aftermath. aftermath. And not the only time that and happens. Actually, by the way, yeah. that's what I was gonna say. What's funny is that's not the only time that happens because that happens to one of the counselors as well. And what's interesting about that to me is, I actually think that that makes that kill later in the movie so much more effective. Because mm-hmm. when you see the mm-hmm. aftermath, it's fucking horrifying. Mm-hmm. And you're it wondering is. what happened. Right. A lot of that happened. A lot of that is the case sometimes. Like, I've, I've always been a proponent for it. Uh, sometimes your imagination is worse than anything you can put up on screen. And yeah, you, yeah. Do have, to, you have to put the good kills on screen, too. Because that's what horror fans go for. It's like special effects kind of thing. You go for to see that. But sometimes a nice left your imagination piece is like, oh, damn, what was that like? Uh, and he can do better than even Tom Savini can do. And that's a hard stretch because Tom Savini is a phenomenal person. Not that, you know, he's, he's a, the master of these kind of things um, and well-known for the Friday franchise. But yeah, yeah, I got to say it, it was definitely effective for me. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just, I look at this movie and it, the more we talk about it, the more I think about it, the more I rewatch it. There's a reason that we speak of this one so highly yeah. as a film. And mm-hmm. so uh, why I think it's so beloved in hindsight, even though it did the least amount of money at the box office for its time in the franchise, it arguably gained attraction once it hit VHS and people started to really discover it. And has it has gained a reputation of being such a great film because it is a movie that actively asks more of its audience than any of the movies while also just trying to give the audience something fun. The RV kill is ridiculously fantastic because you don't see things like that in these types of movies normally. Right. Yeah, well, that was a that was a case. The RV kill was a case also. You mentioned it before. Something that, even though, again, it made the less, least money so far the franchise, it's not the least ever. It still diminishes after this, unfortunately. Um, but the Alice Cooper of it all. Yeah. All of a sudden, this is like an independent film that hits it big. You get a rock star like Alice Cooper, who's like, very, like, yeah, I love Jason. I love, I love this exactly at my alley. I'll make three songs you, for it. Sure. Did you see on the, um, if you on the Crystal Lake Memories when it pulls him up and they have him on there and they're talking to him, it just says Alice Cooper, rock legend, like not yeah. rock star, not anything, just rock legend. Rock and you're legend. like, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, and they played the man behind the mask song a few times. This scene yeah. in particular, as yeah. you're about to bring up, but even at the beginning, when you first get to Camp Crystal Lake and the girls are standing there, like getting ready and they're talking, it's mm-hmm. playing on the car radio. So here's my other question. How are all of them not noticing that there's a song about Jason Voorhees playing that they have not, uh, <laughs> no one's putting this together? <laughs> question? I have questions. We all have questions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alex Cooper, what a, what a legend he is. And of course, he's definitely made his mark on a couple of horror franchises. Of course, he appeared in the Nightmare series. And of course, he also, he's also uh, in um, Carpenter's uh, Prince of Darkness. Yeah, Prince of Darkness. Um, yeah. Which is so, uh, fucking amazing. 
I love that right. movie. That's a. I think we could do a Carpenter run and call it a franchise, even if it's not a franchise. <laughs> At some well, point, maybe we should. I mean, he made his Apocalypse trilogy, and it's yeah. the thing, Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. And, I mean, you could make the argument of a trilogy alone. Yeah, we could. Maybe something we'll talk about. Big Carpenter fans that we built at I know that definitely fits into it. Um, we're not usually a director-based franchise thing, but you never know. Did you see his interview quote last week? Because... Was it with Bloody Disgusting or whatever? And the, he was like, I don't even want to be doing this interview. Like, I just want to get high and play video games. And I was like, he's just like me. He's so real. I love John Carpenter. He doesn't want to make more movies. He wants to get stoned and play video games on his couch. He's just like us, Paul. I just know. like us. Look, I'm I'm a guy who has long lobbied. I would love to see Carpenter get one more go. Um, so that the ward is not his final film. Um, and yeah, I know he's way past his prime in terms of caring about things. And so would it be better than the ward is last time? I don't know. Um, I'd love to give him another shot. But at the same time, when I keep reading that. I'm kind of like, you know what? Let the guy rattle. He does what he does. If he wants to just sit there and do nothing, then he's fucking earned it. <laughs> he's earned it more than a lot of people have. Um, so do what you do, John. Play your video games. Throw in a, an amazing score in occasionally. <laughs> Uh, yeah, his films. I, I just love that. the idea of hanging out with John Carpenter, and all he's doing is toking up and playing video games. I would love to imagine, like, just sitting there. You're playing video games with him. You can have conversations with him about just movies in general, like picking that guy's brain and just having fun and hanging out. Like, what a time that would be! I mean, look, he be. also is a man of class and taste because his favorite film in the new Halloween trilogy is Halloween Kills. I've never been Absolutely. more vindicated in my life for my love for Halloween Kills than that. I movie. do. Yeah, I remember him saying that too. I was like, that makes a lot of sense, man. We get that. We get you. John. We, we hear you, John Carpenter. We hear you. John, if you would like to be on this podcast with us, uh, I mean, you don't have to actually hang out and talk because I know you don't want to, but I would, I would enjoy getting stoned with you and picking your brain for John, a little bit about just things. turn the camera on you can play video games and while you're here just hang out in the background and chime up with some occasional bits of nuggets of gold and that's all we ask for <laughs> we love you john carpenter thank you love you john carpenter if it wasn't for john carpenter <laughs> these movies wouldn't exist because if he hasn't Absolutely. if he doesn't make halloween then Paramount Absolutely. doesn't rip it off for Friday the 13th. So, you know. Absolutely. So, exactly. 110%. Uh, <laughs> John, we love you. We love you, John. Um, anyway, back to the tale that we are talking about Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives. Um, so, Tommy gets driven out of their, the sheriff tries to escort him. Out what of does that ever work in horror movies? Why do I they do this every know. time? I don't know. It's a good question. Um, <laughs> but of course, Tommy is not going to let that slide. And uh, <laughs> I love the line. Again, one of those kind of lines we talk about. I don't, I don't know exactly what it says. But the sheriff, he, he turns a sudden left to try to get the sheriff and uh, the deputy to follow him to the cemetery uh, to show him what went down. <laughs> and he goes, oh, there he goes. Give him the noise and cherries. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's like the, yeah, give him the, the noise and cherries or whatever it is. And you're like, Incredible. The dialogue in this is amazing. Oh, that's so good. It's so good. Uh, and then he goes, obviously, to the uh, the cemetery. And lo and behold. Someone... I was going to say, by the way, not just someone. Also, he's his. The last movie tells us, hey, he doesn't really have a grave. He His body was burned alive and cremated. Ashes. There's right. no Jason left. And right. yet this movie is like, hey, um. 
about that? Obviously not. Somebody got the wrong information. The mayor was told something by a flunky who was wrong and, you know, not good. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we do have the, uh, the caretaker. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny. We didn't actually, we kind of mentioned it briefly, but that's what the caretaker, we did see a scene where the caretaker covered the grave the night before because he didn't want to get called a bad caretaker. And that's where he does have that iconic fourth wall break. Some folks yeah. have a strange idea of entertainment. Oh my <laughs> wink, God. Wink, wink, nudge, my nudge. Yep. That's just my um, favorite. I love I love that they're willing to do that. And that's what absolutely. makes this movie stand out. And it's why Kevin Williamson was so affected by this movie with Scream. Like, you 100%. can see why Scream exists because <laughs> this movie's humor and what it's saying and what it's doing. Absolutely. Um, so the next time we see him, he goes back and the grave is covered up. So it looks like that Tommy's lying. So it's again an effective thing. But again, a great edit, a great transition here. I mean, like... <laughs> Goes back. Tommy yells at him like, "You gotta dig him up, dig him up!" And he leaves. And, Tom, and the guy who's an alcoholic, probably just throws back a drink. He's like, "Dig him up." Does he think I'm a fart head? Cuts the kids. Yeah. <laughs> All the kids. Yeah. Also, can we talk about they let the caretaker dude have this whole line of dialogue too, where he's like, "I, you know, I graduated high school. I earned this job," and like he he really cares about being a caretaker. Apparently, like absolutely, I, I love his commitment, man. Good for him. Absolutely, and of course, we did learn that initially in the initial ending, he would have been in that scene with Elias Voorhees, um, but that never meant to be because he he was an added death later on uh, for the rest yeah. of the thing. But when. What a great small role. Uh, I don't know the actor's name, but he adds a lot to this movie for sure. Uh, good, good, good performance in a small role. <laughs> I am just, I, I love this character. And again, this movie's populated with just fun characters. That there's the, We haven't even talked about it. There's that great couple kill uh, earlier in the movie when right. they're driving down the street and they Tony again, Goldwyn. talk about it. Yeah, Tony Goldwyn. Again, we talk yeah. about it. But you're and Nancy McLaughlin. Yeah, yeah, the director's wife. But they they have this whole thing about they see Jason and they're like, we're not she goes, I don't want to go down that way. When has that ever worked in a horror movie to go towards the thing that you don't want to go toward? Like that their whole kill, everything about that is fantastic. Oh, and then she almost almost got hurt making that. I heard that. Yeah. They always because you actually almost got impaled. Um that's yeah. one of my favorite another one of those great snappy lines. I love that one because Tony Goldwyn says just drive at him, he'll get out of the way. And he doesn't. He's like, we'll scare him, get out of the way. Stop and deadpan from Nancy McLaughlin. Yeah, that really scared the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, I love when Tony Goldwyn gets speared and then yep. he, Jason just tosses him behind him. He's yeah. just like speared, toss, Next. cool. Great. We're done. <laughs> Uh, yeah, again, of course, that's when he impales the, the windshield and almost impales Nancy, uh, who also had to lay submerged in mud with the regulator. Oh, that was kind of a intense moment, uh, as well. Yeah. But yeah, great, 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 funny moment there as well. Again, all the, the deaths are handled with like a little bit of humor, so it just, yeah, it adds to the, to the to the to the level of the film at this point. Well, there's actually, I do like the fake out there too. That's one of the few fake outs in this franchise that works incredibly well. In not like that, there are a lot. There's not a lot of them in the franchise. There's not a lot of the fake outs to get to those moments. But mm. this one in particular works so well because it does ask you in a moment. You go, wait, is he really going to let her go? And is this Jason different? Only I, for him I, to hop over her and stab down. But it works. It's very effective. 
Absolutely. And I love the visual image of like the American Express card. She's trying to give him money thinking yeah. that he wants money or something. And the American Express card that floats away on the top of the mud. Uh, so good. Okay. Speaking of humor, humorous death, and we're jumping back forward, the caretaker's death. Another fun moment where he's walking through, starts talking about the thing in his own head, throws the bottle back, expecting to crash. And here's nothing. <laughs> and they turn around, Jason catches it. You're like, it's, it's just stupid. It's stupid. It's silly so moment. dumb, it, but it works. It That's does. the thing. It's so humorous. And it's a, again, it's another one of those great kills. Like the alcoholism didn't kill him, but maybe it did actually. Like there, there's a weird, this franchise, once again, in the way that we talked about in the beginning, whether meant to or not, has always kind of been like weirdly social commentary on a way that you may not expect. And that's right. another one of those alcohol is bad because look what happens. If you're an alcoholic, <laughs> you're going to die. And you're right, like, right. yes, <laughs> but, but the, like, he's murdered by the bottle. Right. Like quite literally murdered by the bottle, not because he's drinking it, but also because he's drinking it. Is this movie saying that drinking is bad? It might be. It just, you know what I'm bad. saying? Like <laughs> you start to wonder because this movie franchise as a whole has kind of had that reputation in hindsight of, you know, the Virgin always lives. The the kids that are fornicating are the ones who are going to die because being horny is bad. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Which it's funny because there's actually members of the the franchise that will deny that was ever intended. Um, And I, I, I believe them. I don't think they probably wasn't meant meant to be intended. It was kind of kind of one of those pedigree things where like, uh, the the star of the movie or the leader leading of the movie is the one that doesn't do anything that way because they have other things to do in the movie whereas secondary characters have to have something to do with how to get killed by the bad guy and well in an r-rated horror film some sex is a good seller so that's probably what partially happens um but speaking of sex and death uh that's the next death we have the random inserted kill uh, this is a case of when you learn from the documentary, this wasn't intended. This was like the studio wanting more of a body count. Yeah. So they uh, throw an extra random pair. What are they doing in the middle of the woods? Like they're having a picnic? Are they like not even camping there? It's kind of a random. I, I kind of feel like this is one of the slapdash moments. It felt like a slapdash moment. Like they're sitting there having a picnic in the, at night in the middle of the woods. And it felt like, oh, <laughs> like what are we, what are you doing here, dude? What do you, what's, what's the story here? How do you, What's the day like? I want to go to the middle of the dark woods and sit down there and have some, like, it just makes no sense. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter. You're there to get another, uh, another. well, it's not the first in the franchise, as the actors points out in the Crystal Lake memories, but the uh, the two-for-one shish kebab deal, uh, the first on the motor scooter. <laughs> and you know what? As a callback, this one works. 100%. We, we, actually, we both mentioned like specifically how annoyed we were with the through the bed or through the, yes. for the third time, it kind of didn't because it got a little overly much. This does work as a callback because uh, exactly for what you mean. It's, it's done humorously. It's all a winking, like a wink and a nudge. This is who we are. This is a thrown together one. I, I approved of that one. Yeah. The, and I think it's also because it is a change of pace. It is a like different version of the kill. And I think it makes it kind of fun. But I also think it's just the way that those characters are, even for like a half second, you're like, oh, they're really fun characters. Mm. And they're killed off just as quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So even a a thrown together sequence just works for the film. That's how much of a a lucky draw Tommy McLaughlin was. He makes it work. 
<laughs> he makes it work. Uh, what a good moment. What a good moment. Uh, all right. So let's uh, jump forward now. We kind of mentioned a few times before. Court and the RV. Court and the RV. Uh, what a funny sequence there. Uh, obviously, Court has gone away from the camp to meet up with some girl he knows in the area, I guess, who has an RV. It's all like, it's kind of like. It's her uncle's RV, though. Her right uncle's there. RV or stepfather's RV, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it all kind of like has a lot of like little pieces of inflation. Like, okay, interesting, interesting. That's an interesting way to put things. Uh, we have our one real sex sequence of the episode or the film but it's very chaste she has all her clothes on uh, and funnily enough in the, in, the, in the documentary the actress says like they actually considered they asked her to go topless at one point with the contract for all signs like nope not gonna do that it's like all right well, we won't go for other than um so it's pretty much a chaste sex scene as far as we're, we're concerned um but it's a fun one because i love the fact that you start seeing the, the rv rocking yeah and and his head. It's like what's he's like what's going on in there, on in there? Jason is such a child sometimes in his own mind still. Even though he's grown up, he's like still kind of has that childish thing about him. He doesn't know what's going on. Uh, what a fun, fun moment that is, though. One of my you got to wonder, man, if, you know, if Jason just got laid once, would he really be killing everyone? That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but there's some of humorous moments, of course, also. She's like, you know, during the sex scene, she's like, you only got to last... To the end of the song, ten more minutes. Yeah, ten more minutes. Ten I think he's like, he's like, what? <laughs> ten more minutes song. Song ten in the eighties. Ten minutes. What pop song like that is that? Is it worth it? Um, it's funny. Alice Cooper would talk about this as well. Like he wrote the song three different ways. Like there was like a heavy metal version. There was a rock version, and then he got into like a more eighties vibe because it made sense. Was the mid eighties at this point? It's the Madonna pop of it all. The yeah. kind of the famous thing. So Alice kind of Cooper gets his own rock version of that. So I don't know. It's fun. Uh, that's a fun version. I love this now. song. I, that is a song I listen to a lot. Yeah, but it's just so it's so fun. And again, it just totally fits the movie. And you see why they did it because Cooper at that time is peak Alice Cooper. So you, of course, yeah. you want to lean in on that with this franchise. And God damn, does it just kind of add to all the effect of why the movie works? Because they even find ways to put the music in. You know, like. I don't know. It just, I, it really works, man. It's so good. Yeah, it, it is really, really super. Uh, of course, they, so Jason kills the power of the, the RV, ripping the cord in half, or whatever it is. Uh, they discover it and decide to drive away, of course. Uh, and it was so weird, because, like, it's such a, like, like who would have done this? There's no animal that really would have done this. They're like, all right, let's get out of here. And it seems as a rocking thing. They're rocking the moment, and Jason has gotten into the RV while it's while uh, they were checking it out. And I love the fact that he's driving the RV. Jason jumps out of the bathroom, to, and he doesn't see it. Grabs the girl, puts him into, puts her into the uh, bathroom of the RV with him. And what happens? It has a thing like we're like, well, how how is he not hearing this? And he just he turns up the music and tries to rock it hard. It's like it's a great fun sequence watching him rock and roll to it while Jason slaughters the girl in the bathroom. Of course, before coming up and uh, get that great kill where he's like, sees him like, oh, he's got his head up. Sure enough, that's it. And then we get a crash of the RV, a big crash of the RV. Because Jason, don't give a fuck. You don't give a fuck about these accidents. And he's like, I I just got to kill somebody. That's what it is. Um, Triumphant moment for Jason getting out of the RV, like standing tall amongst the wreckage. Great shot that was. Actually, like that's a poster, to be honest. Well, especially with the fire underneath it and stuff, it works so damn well. Mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. just makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I mean, we have to 
take in the fact that the, this is a pretty big stunt for a movie like this. The, yeah. Again, especially this franchise. This franchise really hasn't done this type of thing to this point. No, no, not at all. It's always been the cheapest budgeted ways of killing. It's all been Tom Savini's special effects for a kill. This is actually a actual stunt stunt. Uh, you never yeah. would have gotten this anywhere else and before. Uh, it makes sense. So that's here. It's, I like it quite a bit. So. I love it. I, I think it really works and it just kind of adds an air of scope to the yeah. movie. And I yeah. actually think the fact that this one was all shot in Georgia in like on location and done the way that it was, this actually feels like the biggest film in the franchise to this point, mind you. Like the way that it's yeah. put together, the way it feels, all of it actually has so much location and so much happening, I feel like, and so many characters that it really stands out for that. And here you're doing this big stunt that you can only do once in the same way that like all the rest of these movies, you only get one shot at all these. Right. So you got to hope for the best that it's actually going to land. Right. Absolutely. No, and to your point, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think four final chapter was kind of the closest that felt like a big movie. Yeah. And these films started out as... Like again, I, I don't want to denigrate student films, but they're almost like student films. Like the first film is so low budget and so like like they're hiding things or making just trying to stretch that dollar, and it's like it doesn't. It almost doesn't feel like a, a real movie per se. It kind of feels like a, you know whatever. At times, no. And, all right, and two and three aren't much better. To be four, I kind of took that step forward. It felt like a real solid movie. Five was a a letdown and kind of tried to. I don't know if it. I probably had the budget. Not looking at it directly, but it tried to ape that first movie feel. It failed, I think. Um, and you're right. The six comes along and it's like, this is what we can do. We can make this a real movie with the budget we've had uh, and make it work. It feels like a genuine movie. Uh, probably this is the first time in the franchise, like you said, maybe four. I'll give four some credit to feeling that way as well, uh, but not to the degree that six does. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and I think we even talked about it when we, ta- when we talked about four in particular, you can really see because they were treating it as the final chapter, right? That they were really right. going to make it feel like it had earned its spot of being right. the yeah. first Friday movie to have a budget and it works and it looks great. I mean, I, I talked about that a lot in yeah. the podcast of how good it yep. looked, but I think this one, because of how they handled it, it just, it's, it's not even that it looks better than it. It looks bigger than it. Yeah. And that's the difference. Yeah. This one feels like it has so many locations because you have the different, you know, the cemetery, you have the police department, you have the camp, you have so many things going on in all these different spots. And even though it's all woods still, it feels grander because yeah. you get this feeling yeah. that there's actually a town in people. And like the one thing that these movies have never, that you kind of see it in the first two, there is clearly a town near Crystal Lake, but you mm-hmm. never really fully feel like you experience it until right. this one. I don't know how else to explain it. No, I, I, I don't disagree. I kind of feel like one of the things that helped it out was the, paintball sequence in a way because it was like i know we've had day for jason during the day um and deaths in the day but they tried to like hide them a little bit this was point blank having jason in the daylight with characters that don't feel like they're raw kid actors that are like they right. feel like genuine actors in a film um and that's and part of the report again, yeah. right? As we kind of talked about. Right, absolutely. 
this, yeah, so I think six definitely takes the best of four and makes it work as a continuation of the franchise, 100%. Um, yeah. So I'm just so fascinated. Like, again, every time we talk about this movie and these movies in particular, how much this franchise kind of evolves mm-hmm. in a way that, like, I love the Halloween franchise. We, again, you can go back and listen to all our old podcasts about it. Um, eventually I think we're going to put the audio on here on YouTube because we've talked about that. We know that all of our old podcasts aren't here because some of them were, it was all audio only in the beginning. Yeah, so a lot yeah. of that stuff is not on YouTube. It's on Spotify and diff- wherever you listen to your podcasts, you can right. find it. But one of the things we talked about a lot in that franchise is like, as it evolved, it never fully changed. And what right. was interesting yeah. there is that you stayed in Haddonfield. You were never really leaving. And as even though you would change where it was shooting, you were always in Haddonfield. It never felt like it fully got bigger or evolved or did right. different things in the same way until honestly H2O. It takes H2O to like push it in a different direction away from them. And Absolutely. That's seven movies in yeah we do gotta get that i do have to figure out how to put that on uh get the audio form and put it up yeah put it on but there. again I mean, we can put up. a you know what put a spotify link or something down below to link back to some of the old channels and stuff that way you know yeah, if people want to find it at least it's there because i i've tried to go back and find our old podcast and i always go to youtube first because i get so used to looking it up now on here yeah that's fair that's actually fair you know one of those things when i'll make that a project going forward i'll get that on here <laughs> you doing a project on pod projects how weird amazing amazing <laughs> so weird sometimes how forget that... i sometimes forget that it's not on here because we've been doing it like for quite a while now on as a video as a video yeah. podcast now kind of forget that we started off that way so yeah that's to be honest it kind of, no no it's fine it was just funny because i was like did we delete these and i went oh wait we just didn't have them on video right because right. we didn't we never recorded this video back in the day right i did start that, that, that was actually my insistence originally i didn't want us to do video not I, because yeah. I don't like being on video but i was like if we're just podcasting like what's what's the point Point. But now it becomes like, this I, great thing about between us. I think it's it's been better video wise as well because you get to see us doing it. But I, I I understand your point as well. Oh yeah, I mean I, I like did it. have uh, I did have and the, I know I'm I did not the only one. I know that Mrs. Watches just because she thinks I'm handsome. So you know, first <laughs> watching because I'm handsome. That's who. I mean, come on now. I mean, it's fair. <laughs> anyway, all right. So we go ahead. Jason hands his way to camp after the RV death, while Megan goes back to the sheriff's station. She talked to Tommy. Megan has this very uh, crush. She has a crush on Tommy, right? I think she's attractive, even though Tommy's the bad boy. It's like some, it's like some of the case of, you know, girls fall in love with the bad boy that the father doesn't want them to. Sure enough, that's what happens uh, in a way. Yeah. Partially that, partially because she likes to definitely tweak her dad's buttons, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, after Tommy leaves and he calls the station again, which of course, I don't know what. Tommy's even thinking, like, Tommy, like, he gets kicked out, and he's told never to come back or else they'll arrest him or whatever. Or her wear his ball earrings, I think he said something like that. Yeah. So what happens? Tommy calls the sheriff's department with no new information, just all of a sudden, I gotta talk to your dad about it. You tried it seven times right, Tommy. It's You're, you're not gonna get through to him. Tommy um, doesn't quite listen. He's, <laughs> he has he's a teenage problem. boy. <laughs> That's true. 
Uh, but Megan does answer the call because, of course, this, the sheriff is out investigating some of the She's deaths a ghostbuster? Yeah, <laughs> she should have been. She could have been a great she ghostbuster. Uh, it's so uh, weird to me. She doesn't really act after this movie either. No. Jennifer Cook just stops acting. Yeah, I think from what if I remember correctly, it was more of like a case of like she it was a personal choice. Like not that she didn't yeah. like acting, but she like just had a family and and to change careers and stuff. But I did the same because I think she could have had a long, cool career as an in acting. Definitely. Yeah. I know she I know still that looks great know. in that uh that uh the crystal lake doc. Yeah. I she think still talks if to I remember correctly too, they even talked about it in um that Womp Stomp wanted to bring her back and they just couldn't because I know that Megan was originally in uh one of the scripts. Oh, uh, actually, and they were actually going to do something with that, and that just didn't come to pass. And they didn't want to recast it, so they just moved on from it. That's probably a smart decision, but I also definitely, if Jennifer Cook didn't want to act in in, in, in studio films, it's hard, it would be hard pressed to get her back into into like a, a fan film. What what is a, essentially a fan film to a degree? So I kind of understand that that's not. I wasn't gonna, ever going to happen. Oh, um, and I that's uh, not a dig at Womp Stomp either. Not at all. Not, not at all. For being a fan film. "Quote unquote," quote unquote. Hey, they're, they're doing, phenomenal. They're Great. incredible. They're doing better work than most studio horror films. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But it'll be interesting to see if now, if there was a legacy sequel, whether she would come back for a, a, a true studio Friday the Thirteenth. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I think they should try get her to come back. Who knows? But she came back for Crystal Lake Docs, so maybe that's uh, something that she would consider at some point. Who knows? That's um, the thing I really like about that doc. Um, not to go totally wildly off tangent, but I love the ones who come back and you can see like, there's a real reverence for the people who have been involved in this franchise that come back to talk about it. And I felt like, especially in the part six part of the doc in revisiting it, the thing I really took away from it is how proud of this movie everyone is. Like they really loved working on this movie. They really liked making this movie and that's the actors. It's Tom McLaughlin, like Frank, uh, Frank Jr. Like right. they all do, they all seem so proud of it, and that's such yeah. a nice feeling. It, it feels like an accomplishment, absolutely. It feels like an accomplishment for everybody involved, and good for them. Good for them. Um, it's, it's something to be said about having pride in your work and getting, and you can't really say that about a lot of horror films to a degree. No. A lot of horror films are made slapdash or made cheapest level. It's kind of like they did it to do it, and sometimes you get a little bit of looking back and oh, that was a fun time, I guess, but at the same time, but like this was legitimately like a almost a hundred percent unanimous feel of this was a good movie. This was a fun time. So good for them. A real family, as they said, as uh, Jennifer Cook actually said, they said they actually really legitimately felt like a family together, uh, having a good time. No, I'm Uh, sorry. Vin Diesel coined the term family from what I understand. It couldn't have been. He's trademarked it. I have to, I probably, Oh, I probably owe Vin Diesel some money now for saying that. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have friends. I have family. Uh, anyway, so Megan answers the call as the Ghostbuster answers Tommy's call and goes to get him, knowing that she could help him out because she believes in what he's saying. She, for whatever reason, she buys into it. It's a little one of those things where, like, logistically, you're like, oh, that's probably not a good idea. The way Tommy came off, you're like, that's not a good idea, Megan. Like, that, uh, he is a little crazy. Like, I don't know, if, uh, without knowing what we know as the omniscient uh, audience, so to speak. Like it's like, oh, what are you doing there, Megan? <laughs> if it wasn't for Tom, it wasn't Tommy. It would be someone else who actually legitimately was crazy, and you're going to go for it. Uh, I don't know if it's the right thing to yeah. do, uh, but it worked for the story, so we get past it. 
Um, I got to say, there's a funny part here, which is like, there is an innocence about Friday the 13th movies. And I, I kind of meant to bring this up before we kind of veered away from it. There's like, even though I talked before about how a lot of them had, you know, there's a lot of boobs, a lot of sex, a lot of drinking and drugs and, and slashing and everything else. But there is still kind of like the Kevin Smith innocence of it. Like in terms of like, they do a lot of like naughty, dirty stuff, but it's done in such an innocent, like childish way. Um, that's hard to explain. You have to watch it to understand. But it's what Friday 13 Part 5 doesn't do right. Right, Friday the 13th Part 5 feels dirty and naughty and everything else. Yes. But there's a joke in here which I don't even know was completely intended or whatever. I'm going to throw it out there and if it's me being a sick bastard, it is. But I love the fact that like, so Jennifer Cook is driving Tommy around or Megan's driving Tommy around. Sees the cop. Or she's her father at the roadblock. All of a sudden, like, oh my, there's a roadblock. Get down. By the way, the speed, the speeding sign where it just says question mark speeding <laughs> kills me every time. I love it. Uh, I love it. There's a lot of little signs and stuff throughout here that if you look at the background, there's a lot of entertainment to be had by looking at the background and stuff uh, for sure. Uh, meaningfully put in there. So they see the roadblock get down. He like goes down and on her lap, obviously it's, it's a joke used in a lot of a franchise and everything else. But there it is. He has got an eye. They do the camera shot of his eyes right on her crotch. Like it's right on her crotch. He does it. And then like, two seconds later, he's like, this is going to be a hairy turn. Oh, <laughs> like, that's that- 100% intentional. <laughs> Good. I'm not just a sick bastard. Me that way. All right. It was a funny moment. That's the kind of. No, it's a great. It's, it's the it 100%. Joke. <laughs> yeah. Like. That joke is great <laughs> because it's leaning in on what the franchise is known for right. without being intentionally gross about it. Right. Five, making that joke, would have had her have a dress on uh, with no underwear on and probably would have seen it. And then like, would have been like, okay, here, you're on the button of this. But this was kind of like a done, well done, innocent way to do that joke and make it funny. So, but still fit in that part tunish world that we're in in this episode in this installment of the, of the franchise yeah i don't know man i i really appreciate honestly as weird as it sounds you and i were talking about it like this is kind of the sterile version of friday the 13th in some capacity if you will but at the same time it never feels like it because of the jokes like this because of the way that so much of the kill shots are done how much of the aftermath of so much of what we see looks like it never feels as sanitized as it actually is considering how cut up it got by the mpa later yeah um, i mean you mentioned and i'm still impressed feel, it. yeah yeah some of the kills feel sanitized there's not a lot of like i, I mentioned that the bloody face that uh the misogynist gets thrown into a lot of the kills are pretty simple and straightforward you don't get like the Spearing they do he does in the motor scooter is not a whole lot to that. You don't get a lot of gore out of that. There's not a lot of gore. There's a lot more aftermath stuff than anything else. I mean, I think the worst deaths, the worst looking death of the film, uh the one that makes you go, ooh, compared to some of the other ones, it's probably the sheriff's death. Um uh, with the yeah, backpacking backwards. Bent in half. Um and done very well in a way. Like even that was edited down to a degree. Um, but yet it is kind well, of that's sense. so funny because 
to that point too that's the one kill that they try to replicate in some capacity later in freddy versus jason mm, in done yeah. without having to hinder it so right absolutely um but let me actually i'm gonna I'll, this is the time i want to use now for this one specifically i love the sheriff overall as a character wonderful actor, wonderful performance he he means well he never comes off as the in most horror movies he is the bumbling guy you yell at the screen for in this case you understand all of his motivations all his motivations are clear you completely can't you don't have to agree you don't agree because we know because you're the omniscient audience that you know that he's wrong you know that tom he's right but if you look at it from his perspective you can go you know, I might do the same thing. I might even see the same thing at this point. I don't buy it. He's, he's a little slow at times to come into it until they find out that Tommy was with Megan during one of the kills. Sure. But even then, he like he doesn't like, let Tommy go because he's still kind of like, well, maybe she's lying. Maybe he's lying. Let's just keep Tommy here. Let's figure this out. I want to make sure we know what we got here. I don't want to. He's got the responsibility. If this guy, if he has any doubts in his mind that Tommy is the one that might be behind this, he's got to keep him locked up. Right. He's got to do that. At this yeah. Point. Um, but then he has a heroic ending to a degree. He he sees Jason, shoots Jason. Jason, uh, after Jason crushes the head of his deputy, and he gets caught up in his chase in the woods, and he runs away from Jason, but he's trying to kind of draw him away from the camp with the kids. But he has the heroic moment once he hears that, her calling for daddy. He's like, I'm not going to let that stand. Even though I'm going to die, I'm going to go tackle Jason and try to take care of business here. And of course, he gets his his ultimate death sequence, which is probably like I said, if I had to call it out here. We usually do it at the end of the front and end of the uh, film. That's my favorite death. That's my favorite death of the film. I think um, it's mine too, though. Again, I I think the RV kill is just so good, and they 100%. do the head through the uh the head shot is really great too. Mm-hmm. In that one, we didn't really talk about it, but like that fight sequence in the bathroom, yeah, in the bathroom is actually really good. Um. Mm-hmm. I love that this is the first time I don't hate the sheriff character in these movies. Exactly. Exactly. Because I love it. It's a trope. It's a trope. Yeah. It's, it's, it's overused in horror franchises. He's made well in this one. I. It's the same. It's so funny because, I mean, not to jump it really far ahead before we get to Never Hike Alone, but I think that's why I was so happy that they ended up bringing um, Rick Cologne back and right. having him as a character later because it does feel aftermathy and you mm-hmm. feel these characters and even him like i don't you don't like him but i don't hate the character either he's so cocky and kind of a kind of a dick obviously the yeah. uh, and again so like wherever the red dot goes yeah bang. Bang. <laughs> and you're just like god you you're so dumb and yet i kind of dig the character because you do understand where he's coming from yeah, absolutely. He's a little dumb. He is a, exactly the point. He's dumb, but he's not like uh, overly overbearing kind of. Uh, yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with me. He kind of yeah. fits a lot of the bad tropes we see, but yet for whatever reason, whether it's Russian or not, you still kind of like the character. He's still trying his best overall. He does everything he's supposed to do. Like, I, I, yeah, it's a good, it's a good, I like the no, character honestly. as well. Um, and he's, he means well, he obviously means well. He does. He means well. And honestly, he should be, he should be thanking Tommy and Megan because without them locking him away in the cell, he'd probably be dead. How long is he locked away there? That's what I want to know. Like, cause like, you know, the sheriff's dead, the deputies are dead. Like how long is I'm sure Tommy Megan kind of probably forgot about him to be honest with you. (laughs) Poor guy, poor bastard. 
God, it's just so good though, man. Like I, uh, God, I just really love this movie. I mean, you know, even this third act uh, finale, I love that it comes back to just trying to get Jason in the water. Like it's such a simple thing. And it's not that he's scared of water. It's about trying to take him back to this all started in Crystal Lake with him coming out of the water. We're going to take him back there and end all this. Well, again, I know we bring it up, but we're bringing up the Crystal Lake talk. So by now, if you haven't watched it, you haven't been <laughs> definitely, we take a lot from that doc and love it. Um, I love the interview. Well, it just, that it adds so much extra them. context, you know, right. like I Absolutely. love the doc because it gives me so much extra context that, that frankly, I'd forgotten about since the first time I watched it when it came yeah. out. Absolutely. But I, and I love hearing some of the behind the scenes stuff that led to the decisions that led to everything. And Tom Glaucon had a great interview where he said one of the things that Friday the 13th really didn't have at this point was a lore, was a mythology beyond it kind of became this running thing. And to do the gothic franchise that he wanted, to, the gothic movie, the gothic version that he wanted to do for this, you kind of need a little bit of, of, a, of a lore. Yeah. Now, there's always the danger of going too far in that lore. See Halloween 6. Uh, absolutely. You can only kill it but this is kind of a you have a monster you have rules you have to set up and this adds a lot to it because there have been no rules for jason except for basically that he doesn't die that's really been the only rule you've really seen um but having him it made sense that you got to return the undead monster to his grave so to speak and this kind of makes it seem like it kind of makes it seem like what you're what they're saying is that Jason died in the water, even if he came back somehow. But his grave was 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 Crystal Lake. His home is Crystal Lake. He always gravitates back towards to Crystal Lake. So the yeah. fact that you have him as you like the having Tommy go, okay, I need to drown him back in Crystal Lake. It makes all the sense in the world. Now I'll be honest, like I chuckled a bit, and like in a lesser movie, I would have been like. Oh, on having tommy reading those weird books that he had oh, like yeah. the occult is the, the dead oh, I love it. Yeah. really really you're getting your answers from that come on now tommy um but again it's because in a lesser movie i hate that in this movie i'm kind of like eh, that's kind of I, I chuckled at it okay it makes sense um but yeah having him have that plan makes much more sense than a lot of other things that they try or that they think of at least it's not the off the top of that- their head the other thing that makes me laugh too, when you listen to the interview, Tom McLaughlin, they did the same thing where they were going into it. And he was like, they kind of told me, just so you're aware, this is the last one again. <laughs> but don't kill, kill Jason just yet. But right. it is the last yeah. one. Just don't kill, kill Give Jason. Them out. Give like, them an out. <laughs> yeah. Give them an out in case they bring him back. Right. Um, which they didn't do in four, really, because honestly, the sliding down the head, like there's nothing technically anything coming back from that and what had to be a complete revamp, which this is, which it makes us yeah. make sense, of course. Um, so, OK, so we end up at the camp. I was the sheriff and the deputy is there. And Jason's running wild. Tommy and Megan eventually make it back there. And uh, we kind of skipped over a few of the counselor kills. Um, but they were never, they were set up to be exactly that. They were, they were the fodder that Jason was going to have, obviously. And again, the one, it, the, we did cover the one. The thing is, is you just don't see it. That's what I love about that moment, actually. That build yeah. is great because yeah. the build to it and then Jason just walking in and then the door closing and us not seeing anything other than the body going through the window and him grabbing it and pulling it back in is perfect. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I you know what else we haven't talked about real quick. As Earl mentioned, I love them myself, and I, I think, and again, in a lesser movie, they would have been annoying. But in this in this film, they're funny as anything, and they are kind of like the surrogate for the young nerdy fans who are watching this. Is those two oh, boys? Two you yeah. <laughs> like what were you, know, you going to be when you grew up? <laughs> well, one of the things that I also love is like the movie starts so much like the other ones. And there's mm-hmm. that line of, if this is the most excitement we're getting out of this, we're in big in trouble. trouble. And I love how, like, they <laughs> it's such a commentary on the movie itself. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's that it's that audience entry point to degree. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, I think most of our horror, most of the horror fans I know are the same kind of way. Uh, no matter how old they are, they're kind of kids at heart to degree. There's kind of that excitement you get out of it. And you kind of like, you feel you're a kid at heart when you're watching some of these things, uh, and that's that's us. That's you. You like you. I can see you and me being those two kids. Yeah. <laughs> if we were that age, kind I of. We like. absolutely would have been. And I do love the. So what were you going to be? You, the one you brought up. It's perfect. It's absolutely. so good. Oh god, man! It's just it's such a damn good movie. Yeah, and it it's really, so really fun. Is. And those little character moments just really make it work. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so let's move on then to the end. Obviously, we, we're skipping a few of the kills that are good, like the sheriff getting killed, uh, knocked into the boat, gets the head shot. Yeah. Uh, you get the head crushing uh, of the deputy, which is really good as well, which is also edited down, unfortunately. Can we just talk about the Jason being shot over and over and over again moments that Garrus has? That is yeah. so great. It is. It, it, it just, the way it's played up is so good. It is, absolutely. I love it. And uh, it's like a... Do if you case you didn't realize that Jason was in like a mortal zombie now, here you go. <laughs> yeah. Let me hit you over the head with this one. <laughs> it's just so um, perfect, man. It is. It, it's great. Um, but Tommy starts getting his plan together. His plan involves a boat, some gasoline, which I'm not sure what part of the gasoline was supposed to play, except for the fact that it looks cool. Uh, and uh, the That's big old exactly, I believe you just answered your own uh your, I did. I really did. <laughs> it is there because it looks cool. That's it. No, That's it. No more, no less. It looks cool. Yay! Congratulations. And... <laughs> Fire. Exactly. You don't. I mean, I you question it for a half a heartbeat, but you totally accept it because it looks cool. The idea is basically he takes the big old rock and the big old uh, chains. You're going to chain Jason up and drag him to the bottom of the lake. Um, and that's pretty much what we get. Jason walks out to the boat, which again I love. I love the fact he's this monster. He's like. He's going to walk there. He doesn't care. He's going to go under the water. He just walk, keeps walking. He's walking. He gets there. Not swimming. Jason doesn't swim. He just walks to the bottom of Crystal Lake until he gets there. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, what a great fight sequence there at the end. It, it's it's pretty powerful. Tommy and Jason going back and forth until finally he starts the fire that looks cool that wraps around the boat. Which and the funny thing, that's, and that's why I question it to a degree, though, is like, so he sets the, the boat on fire, or sets the water around him on fire. Does that make it I think that makes it harder for him to grab to grab Jason. I mean, of course it does, but does that matter? It's a horror movie. Does it matter? No, it doesn't because we just want fire. We want it to look epic. And you know what makes things epic? Fire. Fire. (laughs) Okay, okay, Beavis. Um, (laughs) As most horror fans of me. But we have a good good fun sequence there, and uh, Tommy is successful in chaining Jason up around the neck, and Jason gets dragged down to the bottom of Crystal Lake um, to his quote-unquote, end uh, as we start. He stops moving. Um, but then, of course, J- uh, Tommy is laying on the surface. He's, he's choked. The life is choked out of him. 
Jennifer Cooks, Megan runs out, dives in, tries to grab him. And she gets attacked from the, from the lake floor. So it's obviously not too far down. Um, she adds the uh, adding insult to injury by slicing and dicing with the boat engine propeller, uh, getting him off of her. And uh, she brings Tommy to the shore, does the absolute worst CPR I've ever seen in any movie uh, history, the history of movie CPR. This is probably the worst. This is definitely no Ed Harris in the abyss resuscitation scene. You, is, of course uh, <laughs> you went to the Ed Harris of it all. <laughs> I had to. I'm red. All right. Thank you, Winston Marshall again. Um, anyway, <laughs> no, but, but quite fairly, it's funny because like she, and I know the CPR was a different day. She gives him like a bunch of breaths and then her, her like pumping on the chest is like a, I'm going to smack him twice. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> but well, you know what? It's movie magic. It works. And Tommy comes back to life for a happy-ish ending, uh, as it were, even though uh, I don't remember. Does Megan ever find out that her father's dead? I don't think she does, does she? I don't think she does, really. I assume that, you know, had they made a movie that was a sequel, we would have gotten there, but we never do. Yeah. And you know what? It's probably better that she doesn't because it's nice having her have a happy ending in her mind with Tommy at that point and the kids being all happy. That's that's the happy ending we get. Until, of course, we get the out that Mancuso and Studio wanted. We pan back to the lake. And um, whereas yeah, we were almost expecting the Jason to come out of the water somehow, because <laughs> it's kind of like a callback. He does not. He just, we go down and there's the eye still open. He's not dead. He is just waiting. Uh, waiting for uh, for Carrie to come and revitalize him, pretty much, as we find out. Uh, and the man, be- uh, man behind the mask starts to play, and you're like, "Yes, Alice Cooper." <laughs> and if there's a dance party in the theater, and every, you know, you know, before the Swifties were dancing in the theater aisles, we were all dancing to Alice Cooper in the theater. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, good stuff. So, and that that's where we end on this film. Uh, God, it's any- so good. It's this good. movie is awesome. Like, do we even complain about anything? Do we no, complain about anything? What do you complain about? This movie is I'm getting all hyped up and excited again. The caffeine is really starting to kick in, but I'm like, God, you think about this movie and it's perfect. It's perfect right. how it is. That's why it's so good. Like this movie understood exactly what it needed to be coming off of five to try to get the audience back in. And the audience who saw it and gelled with it and saw what it was going for embraced it for that. And that, I think, is why this movie in particular, when we talk about the Friday films, we've both said that this franchise has two all-time great slasher films in it. Four and six. There's a reason that they are constantly touted as two of the pillars of this entire genre of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And this movie in particular, again, I don't think that we get Scream. I don't think we get Bride of Chucky. I don't think we get a lot of the more meta... Even Cabin in the Woods. Like, there's... I was going to actually joke about that earlier is like, there's a part of me that believes that the cabin in the woods people are behind all of Jason's coming back and killing everyone. Like there's a world where that whole joke about what that movie is and what it's doing. That's why Jason is how he is. And I love that this movie in particular, because of Tom McLaughlin's like very specific look of taking a known slasher franchise and being so fun and meta with it. It leads to something so fun and so special. This movie rules. Like, it is so fun to watch. It's so brisk at 86 minutes, and it just does the thing it needs to do. There's a reason that we still talk about it, and we can do a two and a half hour podcast talking about this movie. 100%, man. It, it is a, it's a fun, it's a fun film. And 
as a sixth installment of the franchise, sixth installment, that's what you got to keep going back to. When you talk about most horror franchises, it's the first film that gets the deal, right? It's always like Halloween 1 is the greatest of the franchise. Nightmare 1 is probably the greatest of the franchise because they are the original ones and everything after that is diminishing returns. And a franchise that had diminishing returns, it stepped up its goal game for four. And for the second time in the franchise, it really stepped up its ball game for six. And uh, there's something we said about reinventing the wheel just enough where it, it, it makes not only its own mark, but actually probably inspires horror for years to come. I would say even more than the original did, because the original was pretty much a ripoff of Halloween. Six is its own thing and definitely unique enough of its time where while there are other horror comedies out there, we just mentioned the Tom Matthews and the return of the living dead, which is definitely kind of a similar kind of also, send yeah. on the franchise. In a way. Jason lives sets it up as we can do this with an established horror icon. Whereas like the return of the living dead doesn't have an established horror icon. There's zombies. It's like a, a more of a monster's a faceless monster, so to speak. This is an iconic movie franchise character that you can turn on its heels a little bit and still make a very, very successful franchise, a successful entry that doesn't kill the franchise. It makes it better and makes the franchise better by doing so. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's why ultimately at the end of the day, I think we keep coming back to it and we keep talking about it and it continues to be a pinnacle within this, you know, entire genre. genre. It's yeah, just 100%. great. 100%. Uh, any last... You know what? Oh, I was going to say, I, you know, we're going to jump into the ratings, but I'm just going to say it. Like, you know, I kind of alluded to it before when we were even talking about this. There was only one of these movies I was going to give the perfect score to. And this one. Here's right? our boy. Yeah. This is it. Well, this is the perfect let's, 11. Let's break into it here. And even though you just jumped the gun on me a little bit, it's okay. I usually get our franchise things first. Friday the 13th, we gave out a scale a scale of 1 to 11 because we always turned out to 11 here on PLD Projects. Uh, the original Friday the 13th, you gave a 6.5. I gave a 6. That's amazing to me. The original of the franchise, 6.5 out of 6. Compare that to Halloween, where the Halloween was the perfect 11. Uh, Friday the 13th, part 2, we thought elevated a little bit. You went to 8.5. I went to a 7. Uh, Friday the 13th, part 3, we both gave a 7. I thought I kind of maintained. Friday the 13th, part 4, the final chapter, you gave that a 10 on your perfect score. I gave it a 9.5, right close by there. Uh, we both dipped back for Friday the 13th, part 5. You gave that a 6. You're worse the franchise so far. I gave it a 5.5, also worse the franchise. So you're giving Friday the 13th, Part six, Jason lives a perfect 11. Um, I don't know if I can disagree. I kind of, I, when we had this conversation, when I wrote down, usually when I come to the, the podcast, I've already filled in my score. Yeah. I, I, I know how you operate. I do. Um, but I change it if I feel like I, I had yeah. conversation. Sometimes we change our things. And I was vacillating a little bit. I had it as a 10.5. I'm not going to lie. But I, in a world, I think I can't really deny that this is really, a perfect movie as far as as far as the franchise goes now i'm also someone who has ranked this franchise previously and nostalgia does come into play a little bit and i'm someone who loves our next film the franchise part seven because that was my first friday film which is a lot of nostalgia attached for that so i almost didn't want to give this a perfect 11 when i know that i might actually end up liking the seventh film better maybe um nostalgia is a hell of a drug Honestly, not gonna lie. You're damn right it is. 
But I think I can't deny after watching this, after watching the documentary, after thinking about it, having this conversation with you, where I can't even, even my negatives and my nitpicks are done with a wink and a nudge and a fun, like, that's still pretty fun. It's so fun. It's still, like, it's silly, but it's fun. So I think yeah. I've got to give it 11. I'm going to go ahead and go give it an 11 as well. We're going to both going to give it an mm, 11. There it 11. is. There's a reason, again, we keep talking about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is the movie. Again, rock and soundtrack, maybe the best score, that cast, the dialogue. Everything mm-hmm. about this movie is the perfect culmination of what this franchise should be and should continue to be. Mm-hmm. It reinvents the franchise in a new and different and fun way. Um, and it's only a little preview for next week. It's only fitting that they actually thought of doing a Jason versus Freddy at this point, because what else can you do? What else could Friday the 13th part do at this point? Like it has yeah. build up. It had the final chapter, which is kind of the end of that particular saga. It has this six reinvention. You can't have a film. The next film, the franchise can't be exactly like this again. Cause then it's like a retread. You got to kind of explore new grounds. The exploring new grounds is putting Jason up against somebody who actually stands a chance against him. I mean, Tommy obviously wins, but having someone who's like powerful like him that can go up against yeah. him, having that franchise like that. So I think that the idea, even though we don't get the Elias Voorhees out of it because of it, which I completely understand, um, having that be the next entry, I think was a solid choice, it was a smart decision, um, at least creatively. Obviously, yeah. box office wise, ended up being more diminishing returns for our boy. Uh, I think it's also part of because the slasher root at this point had gotten a little tired i think of people in general not just in the friday the 13th but like in general there's just so many slashers and so many like, it starts to be overwhelming yeah too much it's just it's dumping too much and so it's like well uh, all that out there i don't need to watch another friday the 13th movie i've seen them all at this point um but i think people missed out i missed out quite a bit on what were uh, it was a good really good run at this point so absolutely i can't wait to talk about seven next week for sure um, any last things you want to say about six? Anything uh, you want to uh, get off your chest before we uh, wrap this up? No, man. I just, I, I love this movie. I'm glad we got to talk about it and we could spend so much time reminding people why it's as good as it is. Like, I, there's a re- And if you've never seen it and this was your first time I and you watched it because we were covering it here, I'm stoked for you because what a cool movie to get to experience. And I hope you would enjoyed it as much as we enjoy it. Like this is a movie I grew up watching that I will always have a soft spot. for. Um, and again, I think it actually played a part in where our horror movie love continues to go to these, to this day and has had such a massive effect. So, you know, it's just a very great film, man. It, it is. It is. It's a great film. It's a great time for film. It's a great time for the slasher franchise for that. Um, despite the diminishing returns in the box office, looking back, box office might have been great, but creatives, creatively speaking, this was a good, good setup for the rest of the film and the rest of the genre and, and the franchise, as it were. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't wait to talk about Seven. What a great run. What a great film, run of films uh, okay. there. So, all right, that's going to do it for this uh, this week's episode of Two Mediocre White Dudes on Film. Uh, yes, uh, PJ, where can the folks find you? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, PJ underscore Campbell, Blue Sky, Threads, wherever wherever PJ Campbells are sold, you will find me there. Um, <laughs> hanging out here with this gentleman. Um, yeah, pretty much that's it, man. Absolutely. Yeah, you can find me at Paul underscore Denuzio on the old Twitter. You can find me at PLD Projects and Threads, uh, Paul Denuzio on Blue Sky, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
you can find me all over here, all over PLD projects. Absolutely. Uh, we do two, two different white dudes on yeah. film every other week. I do review every other week myself and Lego going through the V franchise, as I mentioned earlier, starring Jennifer Cook of Friday the 13th Part 6 fame. Uh, I also do a weekly podcast with Maddie Gunner. Uh, holy Snokes. Uh, best wishes to Maddie. He had, he had some struggles this week. That's why we had to cancel him last week. He's coming back for uh, this week's episode, although we are pushing it to Thursday. Um, I'm going to actually swip. We have review coming out this week. Review usually comes out on Thursday. Holy Snokes usually on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to switch that. Review is going to come out on Wednesday because Maddie is traveling. Um, so Thursday we will come out with our Holy Snokes episode where we're going to look at the future uh, works of the Star Wars franchise post-strike and see what's going to come up. Kind of preview all of that. Um, and of course I do Crown Jewels, the mean podcast I do on my sister YouTube channel, PLD Project Crown Jewels, all in the same audio feed, though, if you're listening on the audio side of things. Um, so great. If this is the first time here, please hit that like, hit that subscribe, leave a comment, a question. We like talking with people in the comments. We enjoy it quite a bit. Hopefully you have a lot to say. Um, and if you can, if you want to support the channel even further, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash PLD Projects really helps. Uh, fuel the site really keeps the, every the lights on and uh, such stalwart crews such as Austin Cadell, Jeremiah Morris, Matthew Kearns, Brandon Buckingham, Jeff Alterman could not do this without you guys and a whole other bunch of crew members as well. Had had another hangout on Sunday. Tried to do hangouts every month. We have some extra content coming our way. That's where the Harris Dons lies. I talk about one Edward Allen Harris and all of his IMDb credits. And PJ and I had one Doctor Who episode on there. We haven't really gone back to do more, but we will at some point. Uh, public. I'm sorry. It is. It's true. We've been, actually, we did two. We did two episodes. I think we did the Doctor Who movie starring Paul McGann, and then we did Waters of Mars from David Tennant. We were definitely going to add more to that lexicon at some point for sure, especially as we get excited about Doctor Who. Um, but if you can't do Patreon, I completely understand that as well. Uh, you know, it's, financial times are rough and everything else, but you can always help out the channel just by sharing, uh, liking, like I said, and get people to listen. Bring us more. I think there's a community, a wonderful one. Yeah, I think that'll do it. Uh, next time, That's like it. we said before, Friday 13, Part 7. New Jason blood. versus Carrie. Jason versus Carrie. We'll see you there. Bye now.